Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 244th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that supports our friends and family in the U.S. as they prepare for what we hope will be a free and fair election this evening. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, everyone. Um, off the top of the show here, I'm going to say that uh, for those who weren't aware, we record this on Tuesday nights, and it is currently just 9.30 Eastern on November 3rd, uh, so I have my phone on complete silence, I have closed Twitter, I have Discord off, and I am flying completely blind, and I do not want to <laughs> talk or think about this election for the next two hours. I'll do my best to distract you. As we all hold our breath. So we're recording this with no idea what's going on in the real world. (laughs) Okay. Um, Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what is on our agenda this week, other than shilling ourselves into oblivion, according to some random folks on Twitter? Yeah, that seems uh, like something that would be more profitable than what we do. Um, <laughs> segment one, the MTGO metagame week interview. We've got Pioneer and Modern. Uh, segment two, our top paper movers. Some some cards bouncing all over the place, especially with Commander Legend spoilers in full effect, uh, along with our top MTGO movers. Our top paper cards to watch. We've got a pretty full slate this week. Ta- segment four, our Collector's Corners. This week, uh, we're going to talk about some of the most expensive cards in modern Magic, um, which Ish. comes with all sorts of yeah, yeah, it comes with all sorts of qualifications. And I presume a bunch of you will be yelling things at this, your uh, phone or whatever you listen to us on that we missed. Um, and segment five, our topic of the week: the Commander Legend spoilers roll on with one uh, notable point of interest: uh, Jeweled Lotus. Kind of an interesting case study, but let's start here at the top with our metagame week in review. Pyroman- uh, Pioneer leading the way this week with a Black Red Pyromancer list, which we haven't seen. As far as I recall, not too many pyro- young Pyromancer lists in Pioneer, um, despite that <clears throat> being something I think a lot of people set out to build early on in the format's development. I think the... We have seen this a couple times along the way in the last few months, and one of the, um, the, the inflection points was village rights uh, being present in uh, Core 21. That's the instant for one black that lets you sack a creature and draw two cards. Very handy if you've got a bunch of tokens in play. Young Pyromancer puts tokens in play off cast triggers, 
So you can cast the village rights, and as you resolve it, sack the creature. Is that correct? As an well, uh, no, you have to have a creature in play already. Yeah, because it's as an additional cost to yeah. cast it, you have to. But it's going to replace. It's going to replace the creature that you uh, that you sacrificed, assuming that you've got a pyromancer in play. Yeah, if you've got anything, uh, if you've got any single token in play, then you're in business there. Plus, I mean, you can do things like um, sack a Kroxa and then escape it again. Well, put uh, put Kroxa in play and sack it with its trigger on the stack, which is pure value. Yeah. So, uh, or eat your Stitcher supplier, which I'm sure this does regularly. Yeah. So. So that's a, a tight looking little deck. Uh, second place is the mono black vampires list that we've seen all year long. Um, seems to be a, a mainstay in Pioneer so far, uh, and only likely to get more tools to play with, given that there's a bunch of vampires likely due this year. I would imagine there'll be some more vampires in the D and D set. There will definitely be vampires in the split uh, Innistrad set that we're getting in the fall, which is going to include one vampire set and one werewolf set. Um, the newest edition I see here is the Null Priest of Oblivion, uh, a pair of these vampire clerics out of Zendikar Rising. This is the 2-1 Menace Lifelink creature that has Kicker 3 and a black. So for 6, you get to return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield on top of getting the 2-1. That is pretty useful um, as far as that deck is concerned. A little bit of Lifelink too. Um, yeah, you don't see Gravedigger being a... Uh, desirable effect most of the time but it's essentially stapled to a body that is already fine so seems like they're happy to make use of it yeah and they're also running a single copy of Agadema's Awakening these mythic DFCs just popping up all over the place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in third place we've got the black white auras list that we've seen again and again also uh, a mainstay and probably a good reason to keep your eye on bright climb pathway those uh, foil showcase pathways have gotten pretty cheap and if pioneer ever actually gets back uh, into the mix uh, there should be some pressure on the pathways that are seeing the most play um, with luris being their uh, companion uh, this deck really has some staying power, which I think helps it. It's also running four Stone Coil Serpent, and we saw those Extended Art Foils are popping off uh, in the last few weeks. Fourth place is Boros Wizards uh, on the back of Wizards Lightning, giving you four Lightning Bolts uh, as long as you have one of your Wizards in play. And this is just a cheap, straightforward burn deck that you could run in this format. Very nice. Uh, you have a comment? No, just that it's... Uh... I feel like we've seen that before. It's nothing too thrilling. Mm-hmm. The, and I think it's interesting that they're working so hard to try and play Lightning Bolt. Well, given that... One, two, three... They have 12 Wizards in the deck, so pretty pretty likely that they're going to get one off, especially since they also run Loris, so they can bring them back. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, I guess it's not the hardest thing to do. Uh, fifth place, we've got the Jeskai... Uh, control planeswalkers decks with Yorion that we've seen uh, several times lately. Again, running for Transmogrify. That's that foil extended art that I called out for a dollar in Collector's Corner, I think, in the first time we, we tackled that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if, this, if people are actually still playing this deck in a year, that might matter. Yeah, I, I have to say that is a pretty significant play pattern already. Um 
impressive. I wouldn't have been as much as, as nifty as I find that card, I wouldn't have expected to see it this much already. And the other point I've made with all these Yurion decks running around in a couple of different formats is that the land bases are so extant, expanded that players just are going to need more lands, which should put pressure on the four ofs if they haven't seen a reprint anytime lately. Specifically in this one, you've got um, all the shock lands you would imagine you would have, but you've also got uh, eight triomes, four Ketria and four Rogrin. Mm-hmm. And four of those triumphs don't even uh, make all the right colors of mana like you have green in the ketria that you don't use for anything here <laughs> that's kind of funny um yeah the mana base is in well i guess in pioneer as i said they've shifted but like they're you know they, they're not what they were in modern because you don't get the fetches but definitely the lack of fetches makes the mana bases um considerably different in in a way which you know this sounds like a very simplistic thing to say but in modern they were always like okay well you have fetches and shocks and that's what you play and you might have some deviation there in specific circumstances but generally that was going to be the core of any dex mana base but pioneer because you're lacking that core functionality that's so good uh, you definitely see more branching um, and more versatility or, or more variance in the mana bases across different decks sixth place we have oops all spells with just an absolute shit ton of DFCs. Well, I think it, I, I didn't count them, but it's well over 20. Um, so that's a metric, right? Because yeah, I don't I'm, think that's an imperial measurement. A metric shit ton, yes. Okay. So th this is... If this deck is around for a while, we, we already saw Undercity and Former Foils popping off recently. That was discussed in the Pro Trader Discord uh, not so long ago. And Balistrid Spy foils uh, out of iconic masters are probably gonna be a little slower since they're a common uh i think the undercity informer was yeah it was uncommon so uh, a little less of those yeah. around yeah they're both common or uncommon for sure though mm -hmm. uh seventh place we've got the mono green deck that we haven't seen in a while this was all over pioneer six months ago um but has a little been a little quieter lately and this configuration hasn't changed much um, for most of the year, 12 Planeswalkers, Karn the Great Creator, Nisa Who Shakes the World, 4 Vivian Arcbow Ranger, uh, Othanissas and Wolf Willow Havens, and then 19 Creatures, uh, a bunch of Elves into Voracious Hydras, etc. They run 2 Castle Garenbrig, 4 Nykthos, and 15 Forest. Yeah, would it, the Mono Green hasn't gotten too much traction, but uh, definitely still some weight to that strategy. Black-White Auras wraps up the top 8 list, pretty much the same as the 3rd place list. And then over in the Modern Challenge this week, and I guess, actually, I guess it's not the Modern Challenge. I think this was the Modern Champs Qualifier for the week, or the month, uh, I want to say. Yeah, it was the Modern Champs Qualifier. So first place here was the was uh, Four Color Omnath uh, with the usual suspects. Uh, so you've got two Renin Six. Uh, actually, let me see. Not two rendered six, looking at the wrong list. One Jace the Mind Sculptor, one Teferi Hero of Dominaria, two Teferi Time Raveler, three Renin Six, two Omnath Locus of Creation, four Uro Titan of Nature's Wrath, an Hour of Promise, 17 Counterspell slash Control Cards, and 29 lands, including a couple of Triumphs of their own there. Uh, Omnath seems set to post up in Pioneer and Modern until somebody bans him. Yeah. And you get. Man, you get running six along with Omnath too. That is so gross. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Omnath is too good for modern. I think he probably just hangs out here for a long time. 
Yeah, I would agree. He doesn't. I mean, he's a four mana creature that just gives you lots of coming to play triggers. Like he doesn't seem like he's that big of a deal. I mean, it's effectively kind of a ramp deck uh, with a four mana creature. I don't know. It's hard to see Wizards getting too bent out of shape about this. Second place is the Titan deck that, or a variant on the Titan deck, this one mono green that we've seen week after week lately. Uh, four Dryad of the Elysian Grove, four Primeval Titan. In this case, uh, a little bit of innovation with three Turn Timber Symbiosis, another mythic DFC making an appearance in yet another shell. 31 lands in this deck. Um, you know, between Yorion's and Primeval <laughs> Titans, land counts over 30 are, are kind of the flavor of the season. Yeah, and I, I have to imagine that's probably going to stick. I don't know why it wouldn't. You know, if you get to run five or six extra lands that are a little slow, but guarantee you hit your land drops, and you also get to run some spells that are mana too much, but still very playable, like I'm, that's going to be the par for the course. Honestly, I can see these getting some wizards taking an axe to these eventually just because they're going to be boring, essentially. We'll see. Jun Shadow, um, a little bit of innovation in this list uh, in third, uh, two run and six, and then two Brushfire Elemental out of Zendikar Rising. Um, I got a bunch of these picked out of my German uh, collector booster boxes and put aside because I figured they might see play, but I think I was thinking more like standard. I didn't didn't really put two and two together and realize that with a fetch land dropping in, uh, this can be a 5-5 five, five haste that can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less for two mana. Yeah, this... This is uh, the Grawl, the Grawl Step Links, essentially, um, or something kind of close to Grawl? it. Grawl? Grawl? I always said Grawl. 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 Uh, yeah, I mean, you had, what was it? It was Step Links, and uh, what was the red one? Uh, uh, GOP. Remember? Yeah, that sounds about right. So, 2 mana 5, 5, Haste. They can't be blocked by small creatures, so your walls and tokens don't get in the way. Yep. It's, it's, it's not insignificant four. if you're just trying to beat people's face in. Correct. Four Death Shadow, four Monastery Swift Spear, four Scourge of the Skyclaves, and four Tarmogoyf. So between Death Shadow, Scourge, and Tarmogoyf, some of the biggest two-mana or less beaters that Modern has ever seen, <clears throat> if not the biggest... Uh, and then a bunch of Jund, Sorceries Instance, Mistress Bobble, Seal of Fire... All the stuff that uh, lets you put all the different uh, card types in your graveyard. Yeah, yeah, that's nifty. I don't feel. I feel like I haven't seen the brushfire elemental strategy much before. I don't remember if we've talked about it, but it doesn't stand out in my memory. Um, so that's kind of cool. And of course, like because that. all of their creatures cost two or less, they get to run Luris as their companion as well. Oh sure, why not? Yeah, I mean, Luris just gets freer and freer the uh, the deeper you get into magic formats because your average mana cost goes down. Mm -hmm. Fourth place, four color Omnath again. Then is it Prowess and fifth running four Stormwing Entity and a bunch of Prowess creatures. A green-white version of Titan uh, dipping into white for Skyclave Apparition, for instance, two copies there. And then another Titan list closer to the second place list in seventh, uh, this time with one turn Timber Symbiosis instead of three. And then eighth is the other spicy list here, uh, a Teamer Scapeshift list that has two Ren and Six, a Snapcaster Mage, three Uro, three Scapeshift, 19 Counterspells and Control Cards, and then three Shark Typhoon, 
with Dalekuts, obviously, in the land base. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's a fun variation on the strategy. So, yeah, I mean, continuing with the trend we've seen for most of the last month, these formats look interesting and healthy. I wish I could go play them on at FNM. My tech when I played Scapeshift in Modern was uh, running, I think it was Cryptic Commands and Snapcaster Mages. Sure. That was that was my uh, edge. I uh, did not make the Pro Tour. <laughs> All right, so moving right along to the top paper movers of the week, what are we looking at? Um, well, this week we're going to start with uh, Flagstones out of, of Trocare, which uh, will also show up, spoiler alert, in the Moto Movers as well. Um, foils on this guy from 40 to 58, so about 50%. Um, I, I I presume this has got to be constructed, uh, although it, it's got to be modern, right? Yeah, um, see, it is seeing an uptick in modern play. Yeah, because we were talking about this recently. There was some other strategy that was showing up and using it more often than there, not. There are uh, fresh ways to abuse it, for sure. Um, there's that red card, it was Endicar Rising, uh, that lets both people destroy land or something. And I've seen it in green-white Primeval Titan builds as well, I believe. Yeah, 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 that sounds familiar. So, it's, I mean, it's seen a little more play. I mean, there was a long period of time where it wasn't doing anything, so it's not that crazy. Uh but anyways, you seem to uh, be of the opinion that there's a reprint coming soon. Well, because we have Time Spiral Remastered getting printed. Oh, right. I forgot about yeah, that. This is from it's Time Spiral, so, so I would of, imagine yeah. it would be in the set. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, that's that's a very high uh, likelihood card to see, for sure. Um, City of Brass, JSS promo. JSS, for those who are unaware, is the Junior Super Series with the Starburst foiling process. Uh, two to three hundred. I mean, sure, whatever. Um, these were fairly rare and honestly pretty ugly, but it's a very old promo that there are aren't, certainly not more copies of now than there were before. Yep, true. Cleansing Wildfire was the spell I was thinking of from Zendikar Rising. That's uh, one in a red, destroy target land. It's controlling me. Search their library for a basic land card, put it on the battlefield tapped, and you draw a card. So you can use that against Tron, or you can use it on your own flagstones to uh, generate minor card advantage. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Uh, all right. So Leonin Arbiter out of Scars of Mirrodin, original non-foil copies, going from about 3 bucks to 5 bucks. White at... Uh, Death and Taxes variants are doing well in Modern lately, and uh, this is only seen, I think, two printings total, if I'm not mistaken. And this is the original printing we're talking about. Uh, next on the list... Uh, we yeah, have... Leon, Leon and Arbiter is, in fact, the just the Scars and uh, Commander 17. Yeah. I just wanted to double check. That sounds right. Uh, Last Chance uh, is a card out of Sorcery out of Starter 99. And it's basically a final fortune variant. Take another turn after this one, you lose the game at the end of that turn. And we have Obeka, Brute Chronologist, as a three-color commander in Commander Legends that lets you tap to end the turn. Um, which basically lets you take another turn after this one, and you don't lose the game at the end of that turn because she ends the turn before you get to the end of the turn. It's mediocre at best, yeah, <laughs> for those who are wondering. And we've seen a bunch of spikes like that this week where people are like, oh, this card works well with that commander. 
in Commander Legends. And I would refer people back to our earliest comments on this as we were leading up to Commander Legends preview season, which was that don't get super distracted unless you can flip very quickly and efficiently by that kind of a spec. Because, you know, we saw Krark's thumb foils pop off the day that Krark was revealed. And then people run out and buy a bunch of coin flip cards and they may or may not get stuck with them depending on how successful they are on unloading. But it's not clear that at all that, say, Krark is going to be even in the top 10 legendary creatures that uh, you know people start building around. I think people are really underestimating still just how wild having this massive... Uh, volume of potential partner cards like partnerships between the partner cards is going to be for the next three to six months worth of commander building because this sends people off in so many different directions simultaneously whereas what we're typically used to is that you have something like zendikar rising where you have yeah you get a you know triple fistful of legends but really only two or three of them catch people's attention and then you have one like omnath that stands above them all or in the core set the year before Golos, and tends to, you know, powers its way into the top 10 commanders for the year and sits there for a long time, it's going to be tough for anything to stand out like that in Commander Legends because there's just so many options. So again, it's, it seems so much wiser to be focused on the cards that are A, not printed in the set. Keep your eye on the, um, the crunch out, uh, lists that are out there that let you see you know this d card leads into this e card which crunches out whatever mana vault mana crypt etc so that cannot be in the set even if we haven't finished the previous season um because you know if for instance rhystic study it doesn't seem to be in this set then you know i'm going to talk about how that's going to take off in judge foil form shortly yeah, um, I, I think yeah. So we've talked about that before a couple times. Commander Legends is going to give people away so many options that um, it's going to be hard to know which way they're going to attack uh, as opposed to a normal set. I think so, some of these are are probably fine. You know, like the Krark's thumb. You know, if you saw Krark spoiled and went and bought thumbs at whatever like six or seven bucks, I'm sure that you're unlikely to suffer on that purchase. Uh, even if nobody really cares about Krark that much, like that will still be enough that it won't be uh, too bad for you. That said, uh, yeah, last chance is probably pushing your luck here. Um, you know, TCG player is going to tell you that you made 18 or 20 bucks, but you actually have to sell those copies and that's going to be the hard part. And some of the rest of these are going to get even wackier. Last chance might be a little more defensible because it's a starter 99 product. So there's just none of them on the market. Um, Yep. But I would agree that, you know, there's a, a slippery slope as you go from, like, Krark's Thumb, which is at the top end of the, like, yeah, this is a fine purchase, even if, even if Krark isn't going to be great because the card's price will go up and then it goes down rapidly from there. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Wishclaw Talisman out of uh, Throne of Eldrain collector booster boxes, foil extended arts going from 18 to 42 or so. This was a cast pick in the fall of 2019 by me and i believe the pick was 30 to 45 or 50 at the time maybe it was 30 to 50 and it dipped down got down as low as you know 15 to 18 and now is taking off um and it's probably going to get to my number but if you got in when i told you to you'd be losing 10 or 12 bucks a copy <laughs> well if you 
took your advice, but you were a severe procrastinator. It worked out well for you. You're still fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, scheming symmetry, non-foils out of uh, the core set 2020. 350 to $8 because it combos with opposition agent. Uh, foils pushing 20 bucks on the back of same. Kobold, uh, that was also a cast pick that's uh, now a success. Um, I think that one was called in May, if I'm not mistaken. Kobold, Overlord, Legends from 40 to 100. Uh, Kobold, Overlord Does... from Legends from 40 to 100. Uh, and also Kobold, Drill Sergeant from Legends 5 to 15. This is just old cards draining out. In fact, there are uh, dozens of these cards. Th- this is uh the the kobold commander there's a kobold commander yes that crossed my mind but i didn't remember seeing one what's the, what's the name of that one? Oh, i would have to find the stupid thing let me change my sort on mythic spoiler here and i will tell you oh 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 the the one that is zero cat has like trample and first strike or something and yes. has a super low casting Ru- cost Rog Rock, son of Rog God. Right, right. Rog right, right. uh, <laughs> Yes, I forgot. Zero for a zero one. First strike, menace, trample, and Cobalt Warrior. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that explains that. You've got Legends cards that are suddenly relevant for a meme deck and commander that, you know, probably isn't is going to be flare to life briefly and then fade away in the face of everything else going on here. But yeah, meme meme for sure, because kobolds are not going to be good even with him. But I, that doesn't change the fact that the card prices are obviously still moving. So, yeah. And I think that with both coin flip stuff and kobolds, those are both card like weird little sub themes that could show up as um, secret layers, like a, a Krark uh, coin flip secret layer. Easy breezy. That could happen. And some random kobolds to go with this guy could also happen. Yeah, I, I I'll be honest that those seem a little too niche to bother with a secret layer. They print ca- they printed cats. Yeah, but I guess I don't think of that as being le- cats have a very wide appeal to pe- anyone who's used a computer. Right? There's like a lot more. Nerd, I, I guess. I yeah. I guess you're, it, it's fair to say there are more pet lovers and cat cat owners than there are kobold lovers. Yeah, I mean, I would be curious as to what percentage of people that have played that played Commander more than ten times last year know what Cobalts are. Like, pr- like probably like haven't even seen the creature type before. Yeah, I would bet you at least a quarter of the people that played a lot of EDH last year don't know what Cobalts are. Cobalt. Oh my god. And and honestly, Rog Rock looks like a goblin in that picture. It does not look like a kobold. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think kobolds ever really had a good I, visual identity as it was. They've got to be a lot smaller and, and, and more trivial looking than goblins, I think, for the most part. And those are all already small and nasty creatures. Right, and how do you draw a... The commander, the leader of the smoke, yeah. supposed to be. He's he's the big kobold, so he's goblin size. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of a little messy, but. All right, so we also have Marilyn of the Morn Song from Morning Tide. Non foils going from six to thirty. Foils are up over eighty. 
combos with opposition agent which is looking like it's going to be a mainstay in commander on the go forward that's the three two flash creature for two and a black you control your opponents while they're searching their libraries while an opponent is searching their library they exile each card they find you may play those cards for as long as they remain exiled and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast them so uh maryland basically just takes over <laughs> in combination with op- opposition agent because she yeah we talked yeah. We talked about it last week. It just yeah. locks them out of their draw step. Yeah. Like no, no one can draw cards. I think, right? Yeah. Um, it's it's ugly. Not fun, but there it is. And then we have Chance Encounter, another coin flip card from Odyssey Foils, going from twelve to whatever it says eighty, but probably thirty or forty is the highest you're going to get out of that card. Because again, Kark's cute, but not only is it just is it basically a meme deck, but it's one of several meme decks in this set and the set is heavy with strong flavor there are a lot of flavor wins in the set and just so many options so try not to get distracted by all this this cuteness yeah i mean as far as the meme stuff like the card the coin flips and things like that i think that's one of the stronger uh, memes that you know people might get into a little bit more than others you know and you can contrast that with something like the cobalt which i think will fall flat on its face um you know, there's there's shades of gray in how much people are interested in these effects. So here's one of the things that's going to make uh, analyzing all of this extra difficult in the coming weeks and months is that Jason has shared with us that EDH Rack is having trouble resolving their coding strategy for all of these new partners. And it's going to be a little bit of a race against the clock to see if the EDH Rack stats are... Uh, reliable through the period where we're trying to figure out what stuff out of this set is gaining the most traction. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I, I, I mean, that's where we have to fall back on plain old intuition, right? And I, I, I have to imagine that it's. I don't think you're going to have anyone that leads that hard. You'll have a handful that are popular. But nothing seems like it is heads and shoulders more interesting or better than anything else in the set, which means I think you'll get reasonably distributed attention, uh, which also means that nothing's going to see too strong of a price squeeze based on that. That's my read on this so far. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out, that's for sure. Uh, moving right along to the top Magic Online movers, uh, we've got Shatter Skull Smashing uh, going from. I'm assuming this is the extended art promo version. Uh, you tell me. I think so. Going <laughs> from seven to I, seven to twelve, seventy five percent gains. Elvish Reclaimer out of M twenty going from eleven to twenty five on the back of Green White Titan and Modern Flagstones of Tra- Truck Care going from uh, three fifty to eight or so. Um, I think maybe that's also the promo version um, on the back of modern it's, usage. It was labeled as PMTG1. I'm not clear what set that is. That's definitely a moto thing. Yeah, some kind of promo set. Uh, I'll have to check in with Oko and see what he's got to say about that. Vivian Arcbow Ranger out of M20, $1.50 to $3.75, mono green pioneer. Um, also worth flagging that uh, tickets are significantly cheaper right now on uh, for magic online not through the store but through you know goat bots and some of the other vendors that sell tickets i think they're they're only buying in the low 80s which is one of the lowest prices we've seen in quite some time 
suggest that there is some weakness in the magic economy. Maybe the uh, the you know the pre- the dominance of Omnath early on in Standard has scared people away. Maybe more and more people are drifting towards Arena, and uh, as a result, tickets are are cheaper. And if you need them because you still are playing uh, Magic Online. Uh, make sure that you are buying them not from the store, but from some of the vendors that sell them because you should be able to get a better deal. That's pretty low. I seem to recall the the floor on those tending to hover in the low 90s. Yeah, exactly. Mm. All right, so moving on to paper cards to watch this week. We've got a, a bevy of options here. Uh, I'll kick off with the aforementioned Judge Foil Ristic Study. I last called this out to go 60 to 80 July 30th of 2019, so a bit over a year ago, and its current uh, price is popping up over 100 in the U.S. So already a success on the initial call. If you bought it when I told you to, you've already got your exit. Now the question is, do you want to wait longer? And I'm arguing here that I think maybe you do. Like This is as much a hold call as it is a buy call. Um, if you're buying, you're definitely not buying in the U.S., I think, at these prices. You want to go over to Europe because you can still pick these up around 80 bucks all in in Europe. And I think if you buy in Europe and aim to unload in the 120 to 130, 140 range, you're going to be in solid shape within the year. Ristic Study didn't show up as an extended art foil in Commander Legends. It's crunched out. So... If they're not printing it here, the only other place I can see them printing it this year is in, that we know about is as a secret layer, which could happen. Um, there could be command; they could be saving it for Commander Collection Blue next fall. That could easily be the follow-up to Commander Collection Green, um, and I would imagine there will definitely be a Ristic study in there. But in the interim, the judge foils will probably perform just fine. Well, even if it shows up in... So are they confirmed that it's Commander Collection Blue? No. But that makes sense to me. Like, if they're going to try to do these one a year, that's the next yeah. one you would do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Any, but even if they do that... Yeah, I mean, Rhystic Study is a good choice for that for sure. But it still gives you some time because the green one... Is the green one even officially out? It's coming out very shortly. Yeah, because it's. I remember like we had the list and we were talking about it, and then it was like someone pointed out to me the release date. I'm like, wait, this isn't out yet. It was way later than I thought it was going to be. Um, so between now and the blue, if we had the blue one, it's still quite a ways away. Um, It'll be like I also remember November, December, 2021. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like basically an entire year. Uh, now the spoilers would come out a lot earlier than that. So that's really what you're battling with. Uh, but even still, you'd have a, a pretty reasonable um, margin of time there to get in. And I do think that uh, the card is still pretty well positioned. I mean, if we're talking about the European pricing too, especially, that's helpful. Um, and I remember the pick when you made it at the time, and I did not have a ton of money to throw at it. Uh, but it was a good pick, that's for sure. And to state the conflict, I cer- I have certainly bought many of these, sold many of these, still have some in inventory. Um, so for, for the people out there that like to pay t- that think that mentioning a card I have in inventory is sh- shilling for the card, here you go. It's it's a hard shill for an excellent card that's going to keep pushing higher. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's a that's a bad. I think that that's a solid choice. I think uh, getting getting these at that price in Europe is going to do well for you. We should just rename this segment "Shill or No Shill." 
Sure. Uh, cards I own that I want you to buy. Yeah, from me today. Yeah. At the uh, price from three months from now. Well, I want you to. Yeah, I want you to buy out TCG Player and then buy my copies. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> I have some foil metal workers. I'd like to get a thousand dollars on. So nice. Get in line, guys. All right. What's your first um, pick this week? Yeah, so speaking of the number crunch, uh, a couple cards have gotten crunched out. There's still a whole bunch of stuff that I'm curious about, but we haven't gotten enough of the comments and on comments to know for sure yet. But one of the ones that did get crunched out is Mystical Tutor. Uh, Mystical Tutor is the fifth most played blue card in Commander. Uh, the fifth most played blue card in Commander. Very, very popular. It's like 55,000 decks or something like that. Uh it is currently at about $33 for the EMA foils. Uh, there are five copies of this under $35 right now. Um, and there are only 10 English foil copies, period. And a couple Japanese foils, I think, up in the high 30s. So there's almost no supply on this. It's not coming to Commander's Legends. I don't know when we'll get a reprint on this. Uh, I mean, I guess the Commander, if there's the blue Commander Legends next year, it could be there. Um, you're probably unlikely to see this in any standard set. I would relegate this to uh, extra product It's alone. Um, and we're talking about the foils, which also cuts off of a couple other avenues. So, uh, you know, I think that as far as reprints go, it's on the, there aren't that many avenues available for it. And with supply as low as it is, you can probably go from 30, 35 up to probably 55 or 60, hopefully, um within the first quarter next year uh possibly a little longer one of the avenues for reprint here would have been the subset that we're getting with time spiral remastered where they're printing cards that haven't had old borders uh before for the first time in old border but Mm -hmm. this appeared first and first time ever in mirage so it wouldn't Mirage qualify and for that. Edition. So it's already, yep, Mirage and Sixth Edition. So it's already had old border and and is probably safe there as a result. So I agree. Uh, I, so I would assume as much, yes. Yeah, so I definitely think Commander Collection Blue next fall is a good place for both Rhystic Study and Mystical Tutor. You last mentioned this card June 17th, 2019, episode 173. Call was foil EMA copies to go 18 to 35. So are, yeah. are you telling me you got there? Uh, it sounds like I got there. If you're going to ask me how many copies I have at the moment, I bet it's zero. <laughs> uh, you shill. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I still think that this is, it, I, it hit my mark and it's still good today. Yeah. Both of these cards are in a very similar position. They were a lot better when they were even cheaper. But because they haven't seen a reprint in so long, and because there's no obvious reprint on the horizon, they're likely to, likely to keep trucking a little bit. Um, did you check? Well, did you call this for pickup in North America or Europe? I'm uh, definitely North America. I rarely go with let, Europe. Let me just double check here what the options are. We're talking um, EMA foil. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because there was a spell book jace version right yes there is there's about 20 copies of that um and those are like 20 23 or something like that on the low um, but the supply still isn't deep deep there and they seem considerably less popular yeah in europe you can get those spellbook jaces about 13 14 
How are they doing in North America? I think the low is like 22, 20. Sure. And then the EMA foils are no cheaper in Europe. You're looking at about 30. Eh, it might be a couple of copies you could get for about 25 or 26, but then you're up over 30 as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the the demand is obviously there. The, you know, there's no question that it's a popular card. Yeah. 30,000 plus or something in EDH rec? 55. 55. Wow. All right. So yeah, that, that looks pretty good. Uh, as long as the, those two survive a reprint, they're gonna they're gonna push. All right, so moving right along to my next pick, I've got Primeval Titan foils banned in EDH, but powerhouse in modern has been that which way you, for years. <laughs> Seems to have which written... you were upset about. Which you were upset about earlier. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what upset about. I forgot. I have forgotten on multiple occasions. <laughs> That Primeval Titan is banned in EDH. And every time I look it up and I see the ban symbol, I'm like, oh, banned? And then Travis educated me about how annoying it is um, for everybody to be playing them and then cloning them and so forth. And I'm fine with that. Um, bottom line is, this is one of those modern cards that should we escape COVID problems somewhere between middle of 2021 and middle of 2022, Primeval Titan will be a race against reprint like a bunch of other stuff. If they give us more Primeval Titans in the interim, then you're going to be facing additional copies in the market, a heightened degree of foils in the market, because all the current Primeval Titan foils were printed in the old era, where foils were more rare. So I don't really want to be stuck in that position necessarily. And therefore... You know, you have to kind of place your bets here based on when you think your region of sale is going to be able to have reason to be buying Primeval Titans. If you think it's going to be way, way out there, then this is one of those ones where you could hold off. If you're somewhere where you think Primeval Titans, you know, say you're in Vietnam or somewhere somewhere that's been more or less open the whole time, and you've got a little magic community there and you want to pick up some Primeval Titan foils, now is good a time as any. If you're in the deep south of the U.S. and you're not going to be able to play Magic for 16 months, then maybe not. Yeah, this is, I mean, you're definitely battling against the supply here. Um, it, just in the fact that it's been printed in foil uh, quite a few times at this point. Uh, but it's clearly maintaining competitive demand here in the various formats and a, a modern primarily and uh, attrition is going to keep sniping copies um so I, I i i have definitely looked up primeval titan uh quite a few times trying to find a buy-in here what has uh, my attention is that there are there's m11 m12 that's a while back that's 10 years ago then you've got <clears throat> a promo that isn't very nice and you've got uh ima copies <clears throat> And the IMA copies are drained to the point where you're down to 10, 15 listings, something like that, near Mint. Yeah, that's pretty low. And as a result, it's a little bit of a race, a little bit of a game of chicken. So they're, they're going to drain out. They, see, they are being purchased. It's not like the inventory is filling up. And part of that is that even if demand is down overall for constructed cards during COVID, so is buy listing. 
And so there's just less of these hanging about. And you had Modern Masters 2015 before the Iconic Masters printing, but those foils are the worst of the bunch because the MM2015 packages, if you recall, was the failed experiment with cardboard booster bo- booster packs. Um, and cards that came out of those packs tended to be scratched up, uh, especially the foils. So you're really looking at your... Magic 2011, the Grand Prix Pro- promo, the IIMA in the 2012s, and there's not deep inventory of the foils of any of those. No, there's not. I would probably go with the Modern Masters one because if you get one that's dinged up, you get a partial refund from the refund from the seller. If you get a true near mint one, then that's great for you. Um, and also, I would guess that even though the foiling on the Modern Masters ones isn't as good, most of the people buying probably aren't really going to be know the difference between you know an m10 pack foil and a m15 or a modern masters pack foil um so they're going to see the modern masters ones possibly a couple bucks cheaper and go with that as well um and it looks like the buy-in on the modern masters copies is down towards 11 to 12 dollars which is uh real low when the other ones are 15 and 16 and up yeah i mean there's no walls on the IMA copies. They start at 15, quickly go to 18, and then it's like 25, 30, and boom, you're done. Because it's onesie, twosie across 10 vendors. So it, it's hard to wrap your head around people buying constructed cards during COVID, but I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> the, the, the card is hollowing out. People do it. There's a, there's a lot of casual magic, and people run this at the kitchen table and do bad, bad things that are probably should be banned. People buy it and don't realize it's banned in Commander. Yep, <laughs> sure. That's possible too, I suppose. Yeah, it probably is, honestly. Uh, Your next pick? Okay. Yep, so I was poking around, and I think the some of the Cascade mechanics might pull a couple people into them and get some of those decks built. I think take a quick sip of water there. Um, so I was trying to figure out where people who wanted to play Cascade decks would go. Uh, Yidris seems like a possibility, but that wasn't the direction I was going. I think one of the better choices for anyone building a Cascade deck would probably be Sunbird's Invocation. It's a six mana enchantment that gives, essentially gives your spells Cascade, um, which, you know, why wouldn't you want that? Uh, and being at six mana, it also triggers off that other new card that gives your six mana spells Cascade. So it's got some nice synergy there. This is out of Ixalan. The foils are five bucks right now. Uh, it sees okay play. It's not hugely popular, but this is sort of banking on there being attention paid to the uh, Cascade Commanders um, and mechanic in the new set here. So uh, this is not based entirely on play pattern. I mean, it is. It's eleven thousand. It's not nothing. Um, there are currently 28 vendors on TCG Player with foil copies. Uh, nobody really has more than one or two, except for maybe at the far end. Uh, Ten of those 28 vendors, they're already over seven bucks, um, and then they go, you know, they climb from there. So five bucks isn't too bad at all. Um, I think the I think these are in a good position, and I think that they're they're overall reasonably popular in EDH as it is, and then you add in anyone trying to build cascade decks and they should get a nice little bump here this is the kind of card that will go years without a reprint oh yeah yeah so it's just gonna be a, like one of these slow steady under the radar cards and then commander like uh command zone will feature it 
one night and people will buy 14 copies and there'll be a $30 foil all, all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, Red is, uh, has no shortage of cool six mod enchantments. Um, but Cascade did seem to draw some attention on social media with the uh, the quad Cascade creature and stuff like that. Um, and I had a couple people on my timeline excited about that mechanic relative to other ones. So I think uh, I think that'll get some traction here. All right, I can buy that. Uh, my third pick of the week is Eldritch Evolution Foils out of uh, Eldritch Moon. Uh, out of the EU at $11, uh, significantly cheaper than in the US. Uh, target here is to go 11 in Europe to say a $25, $26 exit. Uh, in the U.S. It's modern plus EDH demand. It's our recent mystery booster non-foil reprint, which may give it some insulation from seeing another reprint in the near future. And there's no product coming out in the next year other than, say, Modern Horizons 2, where it even has any reasonable shot uh, of showing up as a foil. And I would imagine that the number of reprint slots in MH2 is going to be fairly limited um, in terms of all the different cards that could be addressed there versus which ones will be. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's been seeing a significant amount of play in, in green white decks and modern creature combo decks and has showed it up in a couple of fresh uh, frameworks for decks in, in the last couple of months and coupled with persistent EDH demand. Um, I think this one's probably going to dodge a reprint long enough to get up into that high 20s low 30s range we've definitely talked about this before very early you... very early on in the process i think let me see if i can find it because i know that we've talked about it but it could have been you know like the mystical tutor pick at this point where it's been two years or something it's definitely been on cast before uh there's a good chance we both picked this. <laughs> I, I don't see it, but I haven't rolled up all the stuff from our last spreadsheet yet. I'm only back to episode 172, and I suspect it might be somewhere in the six months before that. Um, okay. But anyway, it's it's made like maybe 30 or 40% gain since it was first mentioned, and now it's just a question of, you know, do you want in to mop up on the bet that they are not going to see a reprint for a while? Right. Yeah, I mean, I've been a fan of it for a while. I think it's still reasonably positioned. You're seeing some um, some new demand in Pioneer uh, that wasn't there before, still continues to be good, and EDH continues to show up in Modern. So we're not, I don't think it's uh, a sudden burst of activity that wasn't there before, but you still got attrition working in your favor, and $10, $11 foils on this still seem uh, cheap. And with that Mystery Booster reprint taking... Uh, some additional pressure off you could get another two years out of this before it's possibly back on the table and neoform got offered up to us in war of the spark which often gets played alongside of it in some cases and you know given that they've already given us an alternate you know kind of a a replacement good for the card as it were that still has relatively cheap foils it's not like there's any huge rush to make sure that this gets covered off yeah yeah Okay. All right. This, um, this next one's pretty wild, but sell me on it. It is. It is. It was. This is a well. I already picked two cards. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw a third one just in case someone wants it on the radar. 
Throws of Chaos, the Uncommon from Modern Horizons 1. This is the four mana sorcery that has two keywords on it, Cascade and Retrace. So you pay four mana and all it does is Cascade. And then when it's in your graveyard, it has Retrace, which means you can discard a land card and pay its cost and cast it again. And there's no limit to how many times you can do that. So you can just keep cascading this four mana spell from your graveyard as many times you have lands in your hand if you want. Uh, foils are 25 cents, depending on where you're picking them up. Um, I think your risk of reprint is very, very low. And even if it does, the chances of it being in foil are even lower. So you're, this is basically a buy list play. You're, anytime you're placing an order, look to see if they have any copies between 25 and 50 cents. I would grab them and start building a little pile. And hopefully you get to get out at like a two or $3 buy list down the road. Um, especially if Cascade gets some extra attention. But it's not a big deal. If you don't like it, don't buy it. I just thought it was an interesting kind of under-the-radar card to keep an eye on. It was a free pick this week. I, th- I think it's actually almost more interesting in Collector's Corner from just from the, hey, you're, you're probably going to want one of these. And Modern Horizon, if you're playing a Cascade deck, which I think is probably my top five uh, themes from Modern from. Uh, commander legends in terms of what i think people will latch on to because they're giving us a few different interesting cascade cards um at 50 cents for a foil from a set that didn't have uh uh an increased drop rate of foils and a card that where are they ever going to reprint this like cascade yeah. trace no other effect <laughs> this is probably yeah. safe for a good long while um so i mean it's just free, really. You get it's fifty cents, so you get one for free. Throw it in with one of your other orders, and then you've got something to add into your Avern of the Chaos Bloom deck. That's the teamer for a four-two legendary creature, Elemental Shaman from Commander Legends. As you cascade, you may put a land card from among the exiled cards onto the battlefield tapped. So the cool thing there is you're retracing, discarding a land. But if you if you pull up a land in the cascade, you get the land back. So you just get to cast Throws of Chaos over and over again. Yep. Very nice. Yeah. So it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's a freebie, but uh, I think it's it's amusing. Sure. Fair enough. A little, um, a little umuz bush. Hmm. Fair enough. So my final pick of the week, Scourge of the Sc- Skyclaves, which I think I called either Extended Art or Foil Extended Art a few weeks back. Uh, taking an even harder look at this. This card is driving pretty hard in Modern as a four of in the Dash Shadow deck. If you believe that that deck's going to be around when Paper rejoins, then the current price of $10 for this Mythic cannot be correct. Like, if Modern was being played right now, I have every belief that this would be a at least $15 to $25 card already. Because a bunch of Modern players that played Death Shadow would have had to pick up four of these. So, $10 seems like a real solid deal. Just regular copies. I almost never pick regular copies of anything, but if I was going to stash away, say, 40 copies of a modern mythic right now that wasn't a DFC flip land, Scourge of the Skyclaves looks like a very reasonable candidate. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like it's effectively a... I'm not going to say better Death Shadow, but, I mean, the one guy was talking about kicking Death Shadow out of your Death Shadow deck and just replacing it with this. I mean that that was I you and I both noticed the same tweet that day, but since then the results have said no. Death Shadow stays in no, the deck. Okay. 
They've added Tarmogoyf, if anything, in that that Jund list we saw today. There are a bunch of variants, but both Death Shadow and Scourge seem to be the like the uh, core of that shell as it currently exists, and despite the various ways it manifests, and it's just it's just a very strong, I think Tarmogoyf level beater in a format that likes the that sort of thing, and it's going to keep getting more play toys as time goes on. Yeah, it, it for sure is. I mean, the power level's there, the cast, the monocost is there. It's got a lot of the right settings. Um, uh, you know, just a pack copy is is outside of where we have been for a while, but that doesn't mean that it's bad. And these cards do move in prices. Um, they just aren't just because we tend to stray away from them. It doesn't mean that they're not making gains. So. Uh, I think if you're looking at, you know, this time next year, maybe a little further out than that, yeah, I could definitely see it, see you getting there. And Zendikar, I did catch um, um, Cafferty, right? Was it Cafferty? Caffrey. Over at Tio. Caffrey. Caffrey. Uh, I was thinking more if I was getting the person right rather than the name pronunciation. Uh, but was commenting that he thinks Zendikar got, Zendikar numbers got shaved to boost up Commander Legends print runs. Um, which would mean there might be a lesser, fewer of these available than you might anticipate. Buy list in Japan at Hiroyuya on these is is already about eleven fifty US. Ooh, I like that. So that's, that's a very good sign. And what that tends to signal is that give it three to six months, guys like Caffrey and you know all the other hustlers in the Magic community that are vendors with strong contacts in Japan are going to be. Picking, snapping off any cheap copies they see on price weakness as we enter the holiday season because one of your opportunities here for a lot of this stuff is go ahead don't don't rush don't buy right now if you think that you can outlast the ramp go ahead and wait till you know mid late december when everybody's money's been spent on gifts and you might see some pretty hot bargains you're going to get some disc you might get some black friday sales on singles you might get some discounts during the holidays some 10 percent off ebay coupons or whatever and be able to get a few bucks off some of this stuff you can pick up some skirt to the sky claves at eight dollars power to you but don't wait too long because i suspect there will be some international arbitrage on cards like this that will drive the price up to you know 12 dollars, 14 16 somewhere in the next six months i'm just not sure what the dateline will be on that but i know i want to be holding scourge when COVID fades. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very good place to be. All right. So our pro trader pick this week is from user uh, or uh, member Spenny89, who called out Mind's Eye uh, Inventions from Masterpiece Series to be picked up in Europe at about $23, $24, $25 or so. Um, CK buy list credit is at $31, so you're pretty well covered. It's in 10,000 EDH rec decks. And with a sell target of 45, with Mind's Eye on TCG Player uh, Mastery Series version down to 12 listings between 43 and 60. Okay. Hmm. I remember Mind's Eye. That is slowed down as an artifact people play these days. That used to be very popular before, essentially before Commander products, before they started designing for Commander. 
However, I mean, if you're buying these at 25 and the CK buy list is already over 30, then you're, it's not costing you anything to try this out here. Well, the thing is that once the invention inventory gets down low, like this low, it almost doesn't matter how much play it's seeing in EDH, or it doesn't matter as much, because just the people that are collecting the invention set, or the vendors that need to keep it in stock so that someone else might choose to buy it, will snap these off. And, and that's what's going to drive a lot of the lower tier inventions higher over time, is that even if they just have a modicum of play plus collector demand, it'll be enough to mop, mop up the remaining... Like how many copies are even left in North America on the open market? A hundred? 50 35 i'm not even sure but it's low yeah well then that makes sense too that it's just uh attrition yeah attrition i can see that totally fine there so the other one we wanted to call out was a was a call out in the pro trader discord this week by one of our mods brian nihilus um who was just flagging heroic intervention foil extended arts at are currently at 14 dollars um started higher have dropped over time that just can't be right for a card that's in 15,000 EDH rec deck something like that it's an extremely high number and the card's super super useful in the format uh, plenty of these got opened in core 21 collector boosters but keep in mind that that whatever that print run was is done yes it was large and foil extended arts were fairly common in those but there are no more <laughs> It's in 36,000 decks on EDH rack, not 15,000. 36,000. So 18% of all green decks run the card. Give this six months outside 12 to 18 months. I just don't see how this this isn't a 35, 40, $45 um, foil extended art. It just makes too much sense. The, the only downside I could see is if it catches yet another reprint somewhere else, but... That's just a dice roll, and there's nothing obvious, at least in the next year, that would include it. Yeah, yeah, I and I, I was the one who pulled this out, um, and I he he, I saw him mention it, so I was poking around at it, and I'm like, yeah, this is a good a good place to be. I think I think the card's bad, and no one should play it, but that doesn't change the fact that people are buying it. So here we are. Yeah. All right, so moving right along to collector's corner this week, we are talking about. The most expensive cards in, in quotation marks, modern magic. And I put together the formulation on this, so it's a little wonky. Because what I'm trying to get at here is that we're talking about the cards that are surprisingly expensive, despite not being on the reserve list, not being alpha, beta, unlimited cards, not being one-off promos like the World Championship 1995 card, or the Chinese dragon whose name escapes me. Um, Shijifuki Jin Dragon. Sure. Or the Richard Garfield <laughs> getting married or having children, the Splendid Genesis. Not that stuff. Don't want to talk about Summer Magic, the you know limited uh, release uh, core set that only got distributed in the U.S. in the Midwest or something for a month before it got replaced. This is about singles that are surprisingly expensive or have um, set a really high bar <laughs> for what is possible when the card is not you know, on the reserve list or from the very earliest days of Magic. And for the most part, most of these are, are from the modern era, but one of them in particular is not. 
So we'll just go through them and it's possible we've missed a few cards, maybe some Asian championship promos or something that I'm only vaguely aware of. Guru lands will would probably make the top twenty of this list, and but they're they're not modern either. Yeah. So anyway, feel free to shout at us in the Pro Trader Discord or send us a, a note and give us uh, recommendations for some cards we might have missed, and we'll we'll mention them next week. But here here's what I came up with for five most expensive cards um, that are were at least at one point widely available. First one on the list. Uh, in the top five is a survival of the fittest judge foil came out in 2009 was pretty easy to find in the like one to 200 range for quite some time and is now going for something like $1,100. That's nuts. Like pretty sure I buy listed into one of these with card kingdom or Abu in the last three years. and was like, am I overpaying at two thirty or whatever it was at the time? And they're eleven hundred bucks. There's just and and the magic formula here is relatively old judge foil, like ten years. And it's a reserve list card that never had a foil printing to begin with. Survival of the fittest is from Stronghold. Uh yeah. Mm, Exodus. Weatherly. Uh I used to know this, but I don't talk about these cards anymore. Uh Tempest. Oh, Exodus. It's Exodus. from Exodus. It was in Tempest Remastered. Yeah, so Exodus. Um, and so Exodus did not have foils. That's a pre-foil uh, era. And so the Judge foil is pretty special uh, in much of the same way that the Wheel of Fortune uh, Judge foil is probably in the top 10 on this list, uh, but didn't quite make the list. I think it will get over 1,000 in, in not too long. Um, and we'll, you know, I'm a little surprised that actually it's not ahead of survival of the fittest, but that's, that's wild. Cause I have a judge wheel of fortune and I'm pretty sure I traded for at like $70. I was talking to one of our These vendor partners in bucks. Europe today oh and they were mentioning that at one point they had, they bought 80 of those at 20 bucks a piece. <laughs> But they probably don't still have them now. Nope. They probably flipped them out for like plus 50% or something and were very happy about it. Yeah, Judge yeah. Judge from a Wheel of Fortune is down to something like five near mint listings on... No, two, oh, two near mint listings on TCG Player and they are priced at $922 and $923 respectively. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. Louise. I, I think I sold one of those earlier this year at 600 or something, and I was like, wow, I'm doing so well here. It's a double up, but looks like it could have gone mm-hmm. for the triple. I, yeah, I, um, I call in survival the fittest modern era is pushing it, in all honesty. Uh, but it is in a modern border, uh, the promo is. So I guess you get credit for that. I think the simplest um, way to avoid getting bricks thrown at us through virtual devices is to remove the word modern. The most expensive cards in Magic with the asterisks, not reserve list, not these other things that we mentioned before. Yeah, yeah, and that's fair. Um, things that they had to earn their price tag. They're not ultra expensive because there were... 30 of them printed like the Richard Garfield stuff or uh, you know, what have you. Um, 
It's a cool card. This is basically just going to be a list of cards people regret not having bought because we all are <laughs> going to remember when they were dirt cheap. And I'm looking through some sources right now to see if I can find anything else that's cheaper. Or, I'm sorry. Uh, more expensive. Uh, more expensive, but I have a feeling that I will not find anything. But I, there's got to be a couple things we missed here. There's probably we'll get to it when we get to uh, the number one because there's definitely some stuff that probably could make this list um, when we get to foreign foils. So Force of Will box topper just came out August 2020, Japanese VIP, one of the first opportunities for a really big card to exist in fo- Japanese foil um, and not have have had it come out of a standard set. Um, so, you know, like something like Japanese foil, Liliana of the Veil or whatever is going to command quite the price tag. But Force of Will foil box topper coming out of a premium product rocketed the price uh, of that card almost instantaneously up to I think as high as $3,000 on Harayuya in the first couple of weeks after release and it has since come down to a quote unquote more reasonable $1,600 US and I was offered 12 I have two of them that I pulled out of packs because um, I'm a Luxac and I got offered $1,200 a piece on them the other day uh, by a vendor so uh, not a huge rush to sell for anything less than that. There is a small supply of these on both Haruya and some other Japanese vendors. And on TCG Player, there's a small stash of them from other people that open Japanese product. But once those are gone, I could see this climbing pretty hard again up into that $2,000 to $3,000 range because there just isn't going to be that many of these that are not in collections or in the decks of the kind of legacy players that are willing to play a $20,000 deck. This is just gross. I mean, force force will. Come on, come on. Like it's not even. It's not even cool card. I guess. I mean, I guess this has the benefit of being the type of card that you play four of. And and the art is stunning. And out of all the printings, uh, let me think about this. Yeah, there's three pieces of art, and the last really good one we had was Therese Nielsen art. So there is some counter pressure from at least some segments of the community not to play with those. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true as well. Uh, that's all actually also true of the Ristic Study Judge promo. That's actually the only version of Ristic Study that isn't Therese Nielsen art. Oh, interesting. Yep. I hadn't I hadn't paid too close attention to that type of thing because uh, I just haven't been in the market to buy any of them. Yeah. Um, also worth noting that the Chinese version of this card, because there was Chinese uh, simplified VIP packs as well, was um, also a major major hit in China apparently because the translation of the flavor text apparently was their version of noob, and so just from like a all time <laughs> great gamer quotes perspective the flavor text was a huge win right so i i I have that that whole market is basically a black box (laughs) i only know of it what i hear from the very scant number of vendors i know that have any interaction with it but yeah apparently it's a big deal yeah that's kind of nifty um one card i did find uh that would have made this list uh a couple years ago was the phyrexian alish norns sure 
which were uh, over seven fifty at one point. But they would have made the top. Wait, what, 10. Did, what did they do? They they do another run of them. I think is that what it, it was? It just got really high on the first wave because they were very 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 in demand, and then they kept coming out in judge packets later that year I, and drove the price down into the ground. No, I, you know what it was? There was a second wave of these, but I think it was actually like two years later. It was a while because I had I had picked one of them up in the initial wave and had it for a good period of time. And then they announced that they were going to be part of another run and the price crashed and I dove to get out of it. I could be mistaken, but I do. I think I remember the sequence of events and I'm pretty sure the gap for you was more like six months and then more product appeared which was within the normal range. But I will say that I think your two-year period is also correct because what happens with the judge promos is they get handed out in these stacks to regional coordinators and they end up getting given out at conferences and judge events and stuff over some period of time. And I've been told multiple times by judges that they're, that higher-level judges unint- perhaps unintentionally end up hoarding a lot of these judge promos because they just never have an opportunity to give them out. And so there may well still be stacks of Elish Norn sitting in people's closets that could be unleashed onto the market. But they, they, tend, they tend to leak out you know, for a year or two and float the inventory and then just kind of dry up in most places. And... Also, internationally, there would be a lot less of these because the judge program in, in a lot of places outside North America is a lot less developed than it would be in, say, North America, some parts of Europe and Japan. And so, you know, any collector who's randomly in Chile or New Zealand or something and wants to get their hands on one of these has is going to ha- be facing a steeper price tag because they're going to have to import it. I think, I th- I think what must have happened is... I think it was longer than six months. I think it was a year. And I think after roughly a year, they announced that there was going to be, they were going to be included in some of the releases, but it was only an announcement. So the price dipped, but didn't crash. And I sold mine at that point in time before the extra inventory really started to hit the market. Cause I I think there was a gap where I was like, all right, I just have to try and sell this before it really eats it. I think they got down to about whatever. It doesn't really. Matter. I think they got down to about two hundred. I want to say. Yeah, that sounds. I yeah, that sounds right. They might have even dipped below that, especially if you were buying secondhand. Anyway, moving right along. Uh, third mm-hmm. card on this list: Judge Foil Gaia's Cradle, a card that was out there and available in the three hundred dollar to four hundred dollar range for quite some time. And has not so long ago, maybe in the last 12 months or so, taken off pretty hard. And is currently sitting around 1600 bucks. It's the third Judge Foil ever issued. It's the card on this list that most pushes the time frame intended for the discussion. Because it was released in 1998. Um, and it's the only foil version of the card ever made. The card is on the reserve list. It's playable in commander, not banned there. It's also a four of in legacy elf decks. And the combination of all of the above, uh, made it a virtual lock to show strong gains over a long period of time. This is, uh, this is a real wild card. Um, not surprising. It's terribly expensive. 
uh, yeah, I, you know, again, I question the the modern guard, but yeah, it is, um, it wasn't, it was not modern border. Uh, but even still it was, I don't know. It was post 2000, I guess. No, it's not very cool car. It's 1998. The release on this. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Third, third judge promo ever made. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, we're, but we're in a position where if you want it, like this is still the best time to buy it. Like the best yep. time to buy it was yesterday. The it, next best yeah. time is today because you aren't going to see this again in any reasonable time frame. Um, and, 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 and to be clear, I think this is a hold. Like and any of the reserve list judge foils, I think are strongholds because I expect them to perform at at least 10% a year for some period of time and st- until they hit some kind of natural ceiling. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was gonna say, I guess everything on this list, you could co- classify that as, which I suppose isn't true. That's what I was going to say. And I'm like, well, actually, no, that's not the case. Uh, it would only be, they're not necessarily all holds, but um, something like this, which is like essentially super reserve list um, is, is not going, not coming back anytime soon. And even sure. regular guys' cradles are up to anywhere from five to seven hundred dollars now, depending on who's selling them. And Ooh, and, and really? I got those from CK buy listing for about three hundred bucks in January, and some a little further back down the road at around two fifty, maybe via Abu Games. So strong, strong now, returns I, on cradle across the board. I remember um talking about cradles and whether we should spec into them and that type of thing years and years ago and people were like uh i mean yeah they're good cards but they're like i have seen vendor inventories that are just a long box of guys cradles sure and it was like hmm like uh, i guess i'm just going to turn my attention elsewhere because who knows what people stashed that i'm going to run into if i try and keep up with the you know you, you, you didn't want to, unfortunately, find yourself in a position where somebody else had gone super deep, you know? The, the, the thing about vendor inventory like that is that eventually the growth in the game just overtakes it. Not on a short horizon, but on a long horizon. And keep in mind, this it took 20 years for this card to get up over $1,000. But it's not going to go back down now that it's here. Oh, no. And these were normal cradles. They weren't I, They weren't the judge ones, but it was just like enough that it was like, eh, maybe I'll leave that to them and I'll go elsewhere. All right. So next one on this list is a card near and dear to my heart because it's one of the things that's made me the most money this year. Uh, Liliana Dreadhorde General Series 1 out of Japanese War of the Spark anime version, uh, illustrated stunningly by uh, Amano, uh, the artist from... Uh, Japan, who is uh, famous for being involved in a whole bunch of different properties, but the one that uh, is most important probably is Final Fantasy. Um, these surprised, I think, a lot of people in the West. In fact, they were very undervalued in Europe as early as, as recently as June. I mean, I picked up my copy blindly, not knowing whether I was going to get a Series 1 or Series 2 version for, I think, 1150 or something. Uh, in June and the year before in May of 2019 Ed sold me one for I think 450 that I flipped that week for 650 and I was all proud of myself <laughs> um, turns out that 
Japan thinks these are a real, real big deal, and they have been absolutely the driving force uh, behind the price on these things. Harry Yuya was posting really strong buy lists as early as March of 2020, and it's only gotten better as time has gone on. They currently show sold out on near-mint copies of Liliana Dreadhorde General uh, Series 1 versions at 85,000 yen which is approximately 8,300 US or so. Have you checked their buy list to see what it is on there? Yep. The buy list is significantly lower than that, I think because they know that they are pretty slow sellers and they probably have uh, some folks that they can unload this kind of thing to early on in the hype cycle. And then once those people have kind of had their collector orders filled, they get a little bit more realistic about things yeah. until you know uh, i think the well they and they, they're sold out at eight thousand five hundred dollars <laughs> in theory but if, if you believe but, that's yeah. a real price right but the tcg low is like two grand or whatever so they don't their their buy list isn't going to be four thousand dollars because they would just buy them from america well, well yeah but keep in mind that in america they don't recognize the whole series one series two thing and it's the series one that sold out at at, at eighty five thousand yen. So let's let's be clear, and we have covered this before, for, but maybe some for, people don't remember, weren't listening that day. Um, when we say series one, series two, there are there the earliest versions that came out of Japanese boxes in the first few months of the release were lesser displayed lesser foiling. The text box is extremely lightly foiled to the point where it only really seems like the the art is foiled. And that has become known as essentially the first edition of Mono. I don't know whether the, the Japanese community, Magic community, thinks it's a better looking card or they're just reacting to the ability to distinguish between the very first version and the subsequent versions. Series 2 refers to both things that came out of the core 2020 promo packs and later uh, reprints of the Japanese War of the Spark booster boxes, and they feature a much uh, more glossy overall foiling process. You have to have one of each side by side to really get what I'm talking about, but I do, in fact, own um, both versions of some of the other cards, I think Teferi and Karn and a couple of others. And under strong lighting, it's pretty obvious. So there are copies posted, as you said, under 2000 on TCG Player. But if you buy one, you don't know which version you're getting. And you'd really want to know, I, if you're in the market for such things, definitely ask for pictures. Because if you can establish that it is a Series 1, your prospects for potentially un- unloading it overseas are a lot better. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you're Haruya and you decide that you want to buy another one of these to add to your storefront, you'll go through the effort of contacting that CCG player seller for a picture or two to determine if it's series one or two. Yeah. So, I mean, the copies that I saw on TCG player, like just last month, there was maybe, uh, I want to say seven, eight, nine, ten listed now. And this was just like two weeks ago. Now I'm looking just right now at the listings on TCG, the, pre- the pre-release copies that were only available in Japan at their pre-releases for, Je- for War of the Spark are sold out. There are zero copies listed on TCG Player. 
And the near mint foil copies of the Lilianas start at 3,000 now on TCG Player. There are three at about 3,100, and then there's one at 6,000 and one at 8,500. Peesh. <laughs> so this is pushing pretty hard. I don't know what my target out on is is on these. I got offered like 2,000 on my Series 1 and 1,000 on my promo or 1,500 on my promo or something like that. Uh last week and haven't haven't locked that in yet because something tells me that these are not going down anytime soon we've already seen a bit of retracing from the most ridiculous buy list they had because it's at one point the buy list was up to 3,500 us and i somewhat regret not pulling the trigger the second i saw that um if it had been outside of covid times i actually probably would have just booked a flight because I could, I could probably fly to Japan at this point if everything if there was no COVID. Unload my two Amanos, unload my two Japanese foil force of wills, pay for the entire trip, and have several thousand left in hand to hit up all the stores in Tokyo and just go on an EDH staple rampage. Yeah, I mean it would be fun at the very least, right? Like. Uh... It might not be the most cost-efficient way to do it, but it would be a good time. Yep. All right, so that's our, our second most expensive card, number one on the list with a bullet. Jace the Mind Sculptor Foil Russian World Wake. And this gets us into a little bit of a discussion of what is this really worth? Because really hard to research a card like this. World Wake was over a decade ago. Um, there is a single graded 9.5 copy of this on eBay for like 9,500 USD. What is a ungraded copy worth? Probably six, seven, eight thousand dollars So I'm not 100% sure which is the most sellable between the Russian foil Jace and the Liliana. But I can tell you this much. Russian still doesn't get premium product. The only one they've gotten in the last five years that's of note is Modern Horizons, which was surprising. Collector boosters are never in Russian. And so, and VIP packs weren't in Russian. So we just got Jace the Mind Sculptor foil borderless, but the best version of that is Japanese, not Russian. So the foil Russian world wakes are going to probably stand the test of time. There may never be a foil Jace in Russian ever again. And because that community is not growing, like it's, it's tiny and it was actually in better position for growth when Wizards was distributing foreign uh, standard booster boxes in North America. Um, but they pretty much stopped doing that. So, like, Russian print runs are really, really small. And every time I discuss this on Twitter, people are always yelling at me that they're much larger. They're not. <laughs> Trust me. Look, all you got to do is look up the number of WPN stores in all of Eastern Europe, not just Russia, but all of Eastern Europe, Ukraine, Bulgaria, etc. And believe me, I've been to some of these countries and looked around. In Bulgaria, there is one magic store huh. that I could find. And in the country? In the country. And it was like, <laughs> my inventory is like, like, I could buy him with a fraction of my inventory and buy him out and probably release him from the cold hell that is waiting for people to come in and buy cards in that store. The, that is the cold hell that is living in Bulgaria. <laughs> Bulgaria is actually pretty nice. It's like Banff, but yeah. Um, 
So say Banff. Yeah, it's like a, it's very mountainous with gorgeous Mediterranean beaches. It's much prettier than you'd imagine it to be. Uh, I don't know what Banff means. Banff is like a beautiful Rocky Mountains town in uh, Western Canada. I see. It's basically like Tahoe, but in Canada. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, the yeah Russian foil stuff very tiny market for it and this is where you know what would i rather be holding the jace or the liliana definitely the liliana because japan unlike russia is the second biggest market for magic it might be something like 20 to 25 percent of the total print run of magic cards is goes into japan um at minimum 15 percent, probably top end 25 uh depending on the product and so you're never going to have trouble unloading in a mono. You might not get top dollar, but you can definitely sell it. How easy is it to sell that foil Russian Jace? Probably not very easy. And it also brings us back to the, the part of the discussion about what kind of returns from here can you expect? There's no reference point for that Jace. Who knows when it will ever sell? The guy could sell it tomorrow. Or he could sit on it for another five years. It, and it's like, if he discounts it by $3,000, does that even change the math <laughs> it's not like you or i are going to be like oh well the jace is half off i guess i'll snap off five grand on it not likely yeah i mean at any given time how many people on the planet want to buy a russian foil jace yeah uh, especially if we're talking about those types of numbers right it's like a handful single digits if if you're lucky type of thing so if, if i had just I, I, if i had house fully paid off all the money in the world and was just f- sitting around looking for things to spend money on. It's the kind of thing I might bite off, but it's not a huge priority. And, and I, I just feel like it's out there if I, if I really want it to be now, right. if that copy sells, then there might just be zero on the market. But the thing about a market with zero price references, that's not actually where you want to be <laughs> because things get very difficult to find, very difficult to negotiate it. And you're, there's something about the availability of inventory that drives hype cycles and bubbles and leads to returns. There's nothing to push that Jace up from 10,000. And, you know, for all I know, somebody, you know, that person might let it go for five or seven or eight. I have no idea what the number would be because there's just no reference points. Whereas if you look at this Pokemon bubble that's going on, you can see what has happened to the most popular elite trainer boxes, which are like, they're what we used to call fat packs. In Pokemon, they're called trainer boxes. And they retail supposedly for MSRP is $40, but some of those sets are pushing 60, 80, 100, 120 just on a fat pack, like 10 booster packs um, and a promo card. And you can unload at that price because there are millions and millions of people with eyeballs on youtube right now tracking the pokemon trends so that supports the bubble that can push your you know if you snapped off some hidden fates elite trainer boxes on the pokemon center last week at 50 bucks or whatever you can relatively be relatively confident you're you're going to get at least 25 to 50 percent returns after fees if you out them heading into the holiday season but if you're sitting on that Russian foil Jace, boy, whew, you're out there all alone on the iceberg, just waiting for another sailor to come by. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree that it's nice to have a, a price point, at least available to, to push against and be like, well, my card is worth this much because, you know, you can see what else is out there. And for everyone else, you know, if, if that doesn't exist, the buyer can be like, well, 
No, right? Like you have, you have no, nothing to gauge against, which could work either way. Um, you, you really, you could, yeah, I mean, I guess I would probably want, if I had to pick between them, I would take the Liliana, but even still, I don't think you can buy either of these unless it's something that you personally really want to own. Well, the other thing um, is because you can, you can go buy Judge Foil Cradles at, uh, a fifth of the price of either of these and they'll see it a lot more play well and i have a lot of confidence that judge foil cradles will go 1500 to 3000 yeah exactly that's and that's what i mean like there's just it feels like there's a lot more availability on those cradles than there are on either of these other cards the problem with the five to ten thousand dollar range is you're getting into power territory which is the hallowed you know end game for most magic players so there's going to be a lot more people that want to own their first Black Lotus than their first Amano in North America. Yeah. And Amano pushing into that territory where it's the price of a, a beat at like a MP to LP unlimited Lotus. There's a lot of people that would trade their Amanos for a Lotus. Yeah. Well, maybe stateside, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know about in Japan. Well, I mean, Japan values power even more so because they never got those sets there was no japanese editions of those sets so there's always been strong arbitrage on vintage to japan true true um all right it's just some interesting stuff in there uh i'll be curious to see what our listeners come back with and let us know what we missed we'll be back next week with the five cheapest cards in magic the ones that are fractions of a penny you have to pay people to take them from you most of them are kobolds yeah (laughs) uh okay so topic of the week uh commander legends continues on and a pretty notable spoiler here uh the jeweled lotus um <laughs> now there, this caused a, a bit of a chatter here jeweled, the jeweled lotus is black lotus they can only be used to cast your commander uh it's that's it just this black lotus with can only that mana can only be used to cast your commander written on it uh and you and I seemed like we weren't on the same page on this during the spoiler. Black Lotus is not a good card in Commander. I don't even talk about Jeweled Lotus. Black Lotus is not a good card in Commander. I am willing to make that claim. I would start with Soul Ring is better than both cards by a lot. Yeah. And it's premised in the fact that for one more mana, your first land drop of the game you're accelerating into your third land drop effectively in many cases and it's permanent so anything that gives you a temporary boost in commander can in, has a tendency to be undone by making you the target for the rest of the table you got your you go <laughs> We're now in a situation where in a in a mystical magical crystal Christmas land where you go land black lotus jeweled lotus and cast something for seven, there's three other people that are going to look at their hand and figure out which of their one and two mana kill spells they want to tar- target that thing with. And yeah. even if you can survive and dominate, the question becomes: Is that even really what Commander is about? Getting massive advantages on turn one is a CEDH thing, but that's still a tiny fraction of the community, and frankly, a fairly silly one, because Commander is much more suited to social games. 
and I, I'm, I am very much of a mind that having played a lot of webcam commander this, this year, commander is really a lot better at a power level between six and eight than it is from eight to 10. Yeah. Spend less time shuffling, so, less time dicking around, less time sitting, watching people do five minute turns on, like to combo off. And I've always appreciated when, when Jason all, you know, hurries people through <laughs> obviously completed games before they're actually completed because it's about the gathering and people need to get their head straight on all that. Like, yes, make your deck to do some cool, funny stuff, have some kill conditions for when the game goes too long. But that is, you know, the primary usage of one, two card combos in the format is to bring games to a close when they have run their course, not to do so on turn one and piss everybody off. Well, it sounds like that you are, uh, you have come around on this more so than you had initially. No, no, no. None of that betrays my initial impression, which I still hold, which is that this card is going to be super present in this format. Because even though it is not as good as people think it is, it is still ubiquitously useful in enough decks and enough builds that it's going to see plenty of play. And a mythic mythic extended art foil that can fit into even 10,000 decks on EDH rec by this time next year is going to be a very, it's going to be a $100 plus foil. Well, and this card so is going to have a... Let me just finish the, the thought. This card is going to have a very strong price memory effect because vendors brazenly set out to exploit the expectations by posting regular copies of this card at $150 this week. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if you're saying that you think this is a $10 card... It's still very yeah. challenging for the market to parse how wrong they were about it being a $150 card and bring it all the way down those steps. The race to the bottom is further exacerbated in this case because Commander Legends collector booster boxes are being released late, in theory the last week of November, and might not end up manifesting in the market till first week of December. And I've heard allocations are cut in the U.S. by a third. And for all we know, Europe will get them late again. So <laughs> all of that together means we're bridging up against the holiday season where people don't have, have as much disposable income. And so Commander Legends might be a shorter print run than it would otherwise have been. And Jeweled Lotus is very, very, very hyped. The most hyped overhyped pre-order i think we can remember right I, we've never seen a 150 dollar card yeah it's it's possible that if you went back and looked at things sort of relative you know the promised price versus what it landed on you might be able to find something that we had a, a larger multiplier but nothing by this value like ren and six might have pre-ordered like a, at 100 last summer I, I feel like running six was under the radar at the start, but I'm rusty on that. I want to specify here that there are multiple different vectors on which you can think about this. 
there is, and this is true of all of these cards. On most cards, these all tend to be very much in line, but they do deviate sometimes. And this is one of those cases. There is how good the card is in a format. There is how good people think the card is in the format. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and by extension, how many people play that card. And there is essentially the price of the card. So I think Black Lotus and Jeweled Lotus is not get very good. I also think it will be played in more decks than it should be. And will probably end up roughly monitoring territory at least in the short term although i do see it falling below or not monitoring monocrypt monocrypt on a vault hold on uh I get are we talking about confused. price territory crypt i think it will fall below monocrypt pricing eventually oh i um, let me let me be clear so, at peak supply for this card i believe it will get down to 25 to 40 dollars yeah, 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 which is which is which is reasonable. And and just to give you guys a, a, a counterpoint here, Black, I think Jeweled Lotus is not that good, and more people will run it than they should. The other side of that is a card like Martin Stronghold, which is quite good, <laughs> but far fewer people run it than they should because they don't know the card and don't understand it, and then the price suffers as well. And that's an inverse. And you're you're laughing, but like that, you, someone casts that card against you once, and you're like, oh, I love that. That's your uh, go-to. I mean, but but it's a perfect example. Nobody knows what the hell I'm talking about. But if you've played against it, you know what I do. You know what I am. Um, so that was the point I was making. Like this card isn't nearly as good as people make it out to be. Even in the decks where it is good, it's still only fine because this type of advantage, this sort of temporary burst, is much less meaningful in in an, in an EDH format than it is in a normal constructed format, um, especially in four player. It means more in CEDH, but it means it's like it's not good in in normal four player EDH. And even commanders that can recur this and try and get more out of it, like okay, so what? Because it is only commanders, it is only your commander, right? Like I'm not, I'm not misremembering no, no, that. You've got it correct, but there's a couple of situations, so a couple of pretty big sub themes in commander where this is going to do a lot of work. Artifact based commanders um, will have a field day with this thing, and I, oh, but, I initially said okay, in the hold- Discord, well, I would definitely run this in Brea, and Brian, who one of our mods who also run runs Brea, says no, I won't because Brea is a four color commander. So this only pays for one mana in her casting cost. And I said, yeah, 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 but that's her first time cast. So the first time it's a Lotus Petal on Brea, but then every subsequent subsequent time you cast Brea, she, it makes up two mana and then three mana and then three mana and then three mana and keeps Brea cheap for the rest of the game. And then there's a there's six or seven other pretty good artifact commanders in Is It Colors for the most part that... Are, would be very happy to recurse this repeatedly. For, for instance, Emery, Lurker of the Lock, taps and, and lets you cast artifacts out of your graveyard. So you've got Emery in play. You tap her. You can cast the Jeweled Lotus for free because it's zero. And then they kill Emery. And then you want to bring it back. The Jeweled Lotus is going to help with that. And then Emery's going to come back into play and then return the Jeweled Lotus to help for the next time. And then the decks that are really going to want it are the ones that also just like to have artifacts bouncing in and out of play. Just it being a zero casting cost artifact that does nothing. 
on the turns where it's not needed will still you know be an artifact drop like the effect the uh the artifact equivalent of landfall and then over in the monocolored decks for instance if you're playing kobolds and you want to play that kobold dude you're playing him on turn one so you can get off to a strong start if it's in your in your opening hand and if you draw it later in the game eh, but it's still going to help you with I think a large part of it is how many times does your deck expect to cast your commander per game? Because if if yeah. the number is really low, then Jeweled Lotus is in its worst position. And if it's really high, if keeping your commander in play is important and you expect it to be a lightning rod and need the assistance, then it gets it gets better. All of that nets out to a medium card. Yeah, I still think you're too high. I think that for the most, like, you're you're outlining the situation where you're using like, oh, what Emery to cast, recap, keep bringing Lotus it, yeah. back to to keep casting Emery. But like, what what game is this where you're casting Emery like seven times? That and and you're using her to like, why are you not just recurring like a worm coil engine or like any other artifact that's going to be more useful on turn, you know, eight or nine type of thing where you don't need that that extra couple mana you'd really just have a better card i think it's so it's, it's just point. it's just gonna be it's gonna under it's gonna underperform significantly like compared to what people are drawing up in their head I, I can see a backlash of i keep cutting this dialogue for sure that will help it get down to the appropriate level the um on a scale of one to ten what do you put this at in terms of what just power level for the format in general Uh, it's below five. Okay, I figured that's what you were gonna say, like four to five. I have it in a like six to six and a half. Oh no, no way, no way! Have you ever played? Okay, have you ever played a powered cube, like a powered cube where the guy who built it set out to make it the most potent cube he could? Okay. No, I'm asking. Like, I mean, I've played played vintage cube lots on MTGO. Okay, but that's, so that's a little different because because they cultivate that cube very differently. Like I'm talking about power cubes where people are like, we're going to play the absolute best cards possible in every, every color combination. It is very high power level. In that cube, Black Lotus is not even a top two pick. And that is a super high powered, very competitive format. It's just, it's that card is iconic, but it is... And it requires, when it's a 10, it is a 15. But when it is not a 10, it's like a 2. And this is going to be... It, it, it's a free it's, a it's a free dark ritual of, 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 of any color that costs zero. And so... but but Yeah, but it can only cast one card. Okay, but dark ritual still sees tons of commander play. And A, shouldn't. But B, more importantly, can cast every card in your deck. True. Well, at least the How ones in the right color, be, yes. Yeah, but like, and how, and it'll still, but it'll still play the colorless mod on everything. But like, how often are you, like, it casts your commander. So you're like, oh, well, I just have to recur it to keep using my command, to keep paying for the commander. But if your commander's doing the one recurring it, then like you had to already have gotten it back to use it for when your commander dies and also hope that the jeweled lotus had died as well. Like, it's just, it's just a mess. So, so to sum up though, I am not claiming people should run out and buy Jeweled Lotuses. This is, in sure, fact, this sure, is the sure, hardest sure. sell call I think I've ever made in my career, uh, my side career in MTG Finance. 
Jeweled Lotus is a sell. It's a sell, sell, sell. If you have opportunities to pre-sell and you're convinced you're going to end up with copies in your hand, you should be selling. There's just... Yes. The market can float this on... Okay, first of all, this card is somewhat iconic and relate. it has like some shine off of Lotus because they use Lotus in the name. So that's part of what's going to help elevate it a bit. Even if you're right and it's only a four or a five, it's still gonna it's still going to see play and still retain value. And it's a mythic and a set that might be short printed. All all of which means that when it gets to its low, we're gonna be having a fresh argument about whether to buy in on it or not. Um but that's going to hopefully be driven by results we see in the community and results we see on EDH rec, and we'll have we'll be better informed at the time. Um suffice to say, there's no way it's a hundred and fifty dollar card. It's not a hundred dollar card. I'm dubious it's a fifty dollar card. Um, I am very excited to try to get my hands on both German and Japanese foil collector boosters, though, because <laughs> foreign foil jeweled lotus is probably going to retain value. Like the Japanese version of this card will be pricey. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, the the rare premium versions of this will have some extra sparkle on them for the reason you outline. It says lotus on it i get it and and Um, if it turns out we're wrong (laughs) and it's a seven or an eight in the in the long run and it just sees tons of play even if people even if the power level doesn't really justify it or and or becomes meme quality or picks up some some true iconic status and comes up again and again in the culture then this this could be this could be a thousand dollar. The foil extended art Japanese version could be a thousand dollar card down the road. Could be. Uh. Yeah, I I don't. See, yeah. One of the things people brought up was what well, they're going to reprint it all the time. Look what they did with Arcane Signet. I don't think this is the same thing. I agree that they will give you this card again in three years if it's popular. For sure, that'll happen. But. They they may or may not give it to you in this original treatment. And you might well see the appreciation in the interim. I don't think this is a card you're going to see show up in Commander decks every six months. Don't think this is a card they're going to make sure you get a copy of like within the calendar cycle every year. This one, I think they will... They, they are trying... They, they literally spelled it out for you. They're trying to give you a Black Lotus for Commander. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what they're trying to do. So they're going to want that to stay special. And you also have to believe that they tested this to the point where they were, you know, they probably tried this with other text on it that was less simple. And then they they settled on this, just one-time use or whatever. Um, they, they could have made this a mana rock that, like, tapped for one, but if it's your commander, it makes three, but it costs one or two or something. And... It might have actually been a better card, but they went with the sim- the simple template because they're r- reaching for borrowing against the nostalgia of Black Lotus. Yes, and I I agree with that entirely. It's it's obvious that they were trying to make this as oh it's a Black Lotus. Just you know, there's just this one extra sentence. Don't, but that's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about mm-hmm. it. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I, yes, the the shine is is probably going to stay on for a little while. People will be excited to try it, and because it's gonna, it's so pricey out of the gate, it could be a while before people get it, try it, and decide that it's not good. So it could be a, a slower descent. I don't know for sure if that's the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens. I also wouldn't be surprised if you know, like I said, people get spend some time trying to get their hands on it, finally get it, and then decide it's not good. Um, I don't have a, a timetable for any of this. So, that's Jeweled Lotus. Let's move right along to some of these other mythics that we can finally talk about. Rings of Bright Hearth was spoiled early and indeed is in the set. Scroll Rack was spoiled early and indeed is in the set. Vampiric Tutor, spoiled early, also in the set. Um, that means no Imperial Seal, no Demonic Tutor. Um, doesn't look like we're getting Mana Crypt or Mana Vault. Uh, Soul Ring should be in the set, but I don't think it's been revealed yet. That that should come across as an uncommon, I think, which is probably why you don't see it. Uh, as one of the ex- uh, extended art, uh, the commons and uncommons that they put aside to be opened in the collector boosters in the uh, extended art common and uncommon slot. Probably. Yeah, uh, yeah I would anticipate as much, yeah. yeah. Um, you know what card has really stunning art, and it's un- really unfortunate who the artist is? Yeah. Horizon Stone. No. The artifact for five, if you would lose unspent mana, that mana becomes colorless instead, so it's basically a cruffix on a stick. It's a Noah Bradley card, and it's some of his best work. That's really sad. Oh. Yeah, I actually don't think that's that great. It's fine. I don't like how dark the top half of the card is. It's like almost incomplete. I mean, design world, we would call that negative space. I think it work. I think it's some of his better work. It's important to remember that with Bradley, he started mostly landscapes and hit on wizards to give him a chance to do other stuff. <laughs> and just as he gets into position to do, do that and starts doing some really interesting other stuff, uh, he will not be doing anymore. So, yeah, I don't know if you caught this too. He walked back his apology. He basically apologized for being some form of sexual predator and after like three months said well i didn't actually apologize for what people thought i apologized for i apologized for a much less significant crime so clearly has no repent no no repentance there whatsoever uh ramos being the five color etched card a little surprising i think I don't remember, we talked about it, and I don't remember which one it was going to be. I'm sure we said his name. Like Mor- but I was a- Morifon? No, Ramos, the dragon engine. No, I know, but what did you think it was going to be? Oh, that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what we talked about it. What we thought it could be. And I remember I said I hoped it wasn't Perforos. Maybe, did we think it was for, Sorry, for Ramos? five color? Yeah. How could it be Perforos? Ah, sorry. The... Shoot. Protection from everything. Hydra dude. Oh, Progenitus. Progenitus, thank you. Mm -hmm. There are too many magic cards now. (laughs) Uh, I I remember thinking I hoped it wasn't Progenitus. Sure. I mean, they they have given us Progenitus a couple times along the way. So yeah, uh, the we we had a theorized early on in the Discord that it was going to be the thirty-two reprint commanders were all going to line up cleanly with the uh, color pairings, like the the different CMCs. 
but it didn't quite work out that way. It was like roughly equivalent, but there are, are some variations. Um, worth calling out that the, in terms of for sure staples, we definitely have these five new commander dual lands that are auto locks to be a big deal. Um, unfortunately, I'm not a huge fan of any of the art. I think uh, Undergrowth Stadium is probably the best of the bunch, but yikes, I wish these had been better. I I don't hate them. I don't think that they're a significant improvement or departure from their normal fare. I actually think Undergrowth Stadium is one of my lesser favorites here. I think Training Center is kind of nifty looking. But I think they're generic Training Center overall. looks like a 90s video game level. Yeah, I, I, kind of appealing. <laughs> like... Not, not like this is great art, but like I'm amused looking at this. Fair. Um, I, I've been, I'm a little surprised at some of the rarities here. Monocon flutes at Mythic is kind of odd. Uh, would not have expected. Well, Monocon flutes isn't in the set. That's the buy box promo. Oh, okay. I um, that. But we do have Commander's Plate that struck me as a weird Mythic that should have been a rare. That's the, the artifact equipment the for one, one mana. <laughs> Equipped creature gets plus three, plus three, and has protection from each color that's not in your Commander's color identity. Equip Commander three, equip five. Don't see... I, I guess that's Mythic because they knew Jeweled Lotus was going to be ridiculous, and they needed to like soak some EV down the chain. <laughs> they need something to be I a dollar it. Mythic here. <sighs> I mean, it's just so easy to put so many different cards... At Mythic that like would make sense at Mythic even if they weren't like that good or expensive. Commander like the, the Commander's Play just seems like a very weird Mythic. I gotta say, overall um, based on what we've seen so far, and I think we're about maybe sixty percent of the way through the reveals at this point tonight. Um, this looks like a sweet set. There are a lot of flavor wins here and a lot of interesting uh, legendary creatures to fool around with in Commander. Like this is in terms of giving commanders like this huge puzzle box for Christmas and just saying go go crazy playing with this for three to six months. This there's a lot of fuel for fodder here. Now, I'm I I'm not sure I agree. Like, and this is this is a larger a larger point here. I think that there are a couple in isolated in, in isolated aspects, there are some nifty uh, things going on in this product, but this is really highlighting how much I dislike wizards management of the format. And EDH was at its best when people had to go look through a card pool and find cards that were bad in competitive magic and find new homes for them. And EDH was how you did that. And that was cool. And now with Commander Legends is just like they've been pushing this and pushing it and pushing it. And now Commander Legends is just like, here are what are 350 cards and every single one of them is very playable in Commander. And uh, Corbin tweeted the other day is like, I want to make a Commander deck that's just stuff only in the cards. Years, yeah. yeah in 20, you know, 2020, 2019. And I, I made a comment like you just, so you just mean a Commander deck. And kinda, <laughs> like that's the joke that gift me because it's like, I, I just... At first, you're like, wow, there's lots of cool stuff here. And then you realize, like, wow, when I sit down to play Commander, every single card now is going to be brand new because they've invalidated all the old stuff. And somebody floated this idea. I think it might have been BDM or somebody who mentioned it to BDM, and it really struck me. And if I had a regular Commander group, I would definitely do this and say, okay, from we are now playing, like, 
we are not playing Commander. We are playing Elder Dragon Highlander. The only cards you are allowed to use must have been printed in a standard legal set. And kind of dial it back and be like, get rid of all this crap. I, I mean, that's an, that that's an interesting just... variant. But the whole thing here with Commander is that... Okay, first of all, they didn't invalid. There's not a whole pile of great old cards that are super fun to play that are suddenly not being are not playable. The, the The list of that would be very small, in my reckoning. There and in many cases, you know, earlier you mentioned how Mind's Eye probably isn't of a sufficient power level for Commander. Oh well, <laughs> like there are it, it just draws cards, man. There's tons of other ways to do it. So, but whatever like like there there but that's the thing is at the time mind's eye was like wow this was a garbage artifact that nobody cared or used and it was like oh it's got a an interesting use here this now has value and utility and like we found this cool uncommon from mirrodin and it's fun and it's interesting and now it's like they're yeah, handing it to you on a plate i guess anymore but i mean aren't we really talking about how formats are much more interesting before they are well understood like the, the discovery uh, I, process because i would argue that a commander player that starts tomorrow and their first purchase is a Commander Legends booster box is going to have just as much fun as you did originally discovering Commander for the first time. Pulling a bunch of stuff out of binders that you thought was crap and realizing, hey, this actually is decent in this format. So like the first time people realized Rhystic Study was a playable card because you're playing against multiple people. Uh, would somebody sitting down who to who's new to EDH and starts with Commander Legends have as much fun with it as I did when I started mm-hmm. back uh, like six years ago? Yes, I I think that they would. Does that defend the decisions made by Wizards? No, because I think that the player who's brand new to Commander today is still having fun with it. But I think you are alienating a lot of people. Who have played for a long time, I, and I think you're you're making it worse. I think you're you're actually you're generally making it worse for a lot of players because the, the what was interesting about the format is is has been monetized. Away. At the heart of this, I think what we're really saying is that the some of the fun of Commander is the discovery process, and the more obvious obviously good the cards are, and the more easily they fit all over the place the less decisions you have to make in the process of investigating your potential deck list and the less create creativity you get to express through that process and so commander becomes a little bit paint by numbers is that what we're saying yeah yeah it's it's it becomes much more homogenized all the answers are already there because if you're you. p- playing blue yeah. you're running rustic study if you're playing white you're running smothering tithe you always run soul ring some commanders run jeweled logos etc 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 yeah and except it's not like one or two cards it's like every single color has probably realistically almost 15 auto and it might be higher greens gr- greens probably got 40 <laughs> So it and it, you know compared to what EDH used to be like, it was just kind of fun that you kind of had the work, not work, but like you had to get a little more clever. You had the MacGyver. It it was just it felt more like something you were manipulating as opposed to like you said, this is just paint by numbers. I, I can understand the, the nostalgia factor there, and the the that there is a real loss in when the gla- like the eye of Sauron turns its head and glares at the it's, format that it got capitalized but i also don't yeah but i also don't think it's realistic for this extremely capitalist product to 
ignore what has now become their biggest format and not produce product for it directly. Like that was inevitable, even if it's sad. And so, and I, and I honestly, I just think, I don't think Commander is going to be unfun because it does have a self-regulating mechanism that is absent in things like standard. If you want to go to FNM and you want to play a meme deck, you are accepting auto losses more or less across the board. And if you're the kind of personality that's comfortable with that, you'll be fine. But if you're trying to be creative and you're playing tier two, tier three stuff at FNM, then you are often frustrated because you just can't compete with, you know, the Omnath deck that that Spike Dot uh, player is bringing every Friday and just trashing you with. Whereas in Commander, you get to go find a playgroup that matches your playstyle, and if you want to play, you know, power level five decks, you can do that. And if you want, if your playgroup wants to ban Jeweled Lotus or wants to ban Soul Ring or wants to ban whatever or wants to play Elder Dragon Highlander and these are the sets you can use, you have that option. Like, that's one of the best parts about Magic in general and Commander in specific is that you guys can change the rules whenever you want. So this is oh, just yeah. options. I, I, I agree with that, right? And, like, that's that's what, what helps is that you get to tweak this with your group of players however you'd like uh i don't i'm not arguing that and if i was played regularly we would be and that is sort of the the saving grace is that you can adjust it um all right so let, let me call it let me it call w- out some fun commanders here and you tell me yay or nay well so i i just want to i want to make a, a quick point here before you start that were i to make up this little format for myself i would allow the commanders just nothing else because the commanders are kind of cool and they give you some options on how to build especially color pairs or you know some of the color pairs in older in in edh from five years ago really lacked any true options like boros and mono red and mono white were generally pretty bad so the commanders have given you new directions that you can take them i would just get rid of everything that's not the commander all right what that's never in all urborg tyrant three esper three six hexproof from artifacts creatures and enchantments when never all enters the battlefield create a tap two two black zombie creature token for each creature that died this turn and when never all dies you may pay one when you do destroy all artifacts creatures and enchantments uh i mean he seemed interesting uh jason had a very strong opinion on this which um he thinks it's awful because it's going to add an hour to all commander games. Uh, I don't quite have the read on the format that he does, of course, uh, but I'm willing to defer to his interpretation here that this is just going to be miserable. I think he's exaggerating, and the reason I think he's exaggerating is that this, again, this set has 40 or 50 new legendaries, and then the partnerships are over a 1,000 options. So... The odds that you're going to even see a Nevernal at your table are, I don't know, sub 1%. Like, well, e- well, even if it's the top five commander for the next three months, it's it's very unlikely that Nevernal is going to be, you know, one out of every 50 commander games I play. And and that's, I don't that's think one of the things I really like about this format, is that almost nothing can dominate, just because players get bored and build a new deck. It's. I don't think it's a question of like, oh, now I'm going to see this everywhere. It's more a question of every time I sit down and this card shows up, it's going to be obnoxious. 
for the but, most part, but I, I would make the same argument about like command zone recommends five to seven sweepers or whatever, four to six sweepers per deck. If you adhere to that standard, you you've got the same problems as with Nevernal. If everybody's running five Wrath of God effects, you have the same reset button problem that's dragging out games forever. So you just again, this comes back to being self-regulating. You you and your play group need to decide the kind of commander you want to play, negotiate that, and then set to work building the appropriate decks. If you want to say, hey, no sweepers, people get to do what they want, point removal only, one for one trade offs. Yep that's your prerogative personally you personally i could give a shit like i don't care if you drag out the game i don't care if the game goes for four hours i don't care if your combo takes five minutes i just don't care uh i i think that the there's a bit of a difference between having you know five sweepers in your deck versus having it on your commander because then when it's on the commander it's sort of at your leisure uh, as opposed to the sweepers, you're just hoping to top deck it a lot of the times. But I, I, I agree that they're not too far off. And again, I don't have a strong feeling on him. I'm just telling you what Jason said. And I was like, okay, that, that seems like an interesting approach. I, I think Jason's point is will be echoed by, by plenty of players. There's lots of people that don't want their games to drag out. And there's lots of people that don't want to be... that They don't want the fun police to run control.deck yeah. and shut down everything they're trying to do i have found that there is a dramatic difference in how long people are willing to tolerate games that's for sure do you know where nevin Neral gets his name uh it's the backwards it's like larry niven right yeah larry niven yep who was uh buddies with them he's actually a writer it was funny i was doing something completely unrelated to magic and i don't remember what it was and people were talking about larry niven and i'm like <gasps> I know him. His artifact blows everything up. <laughs> it was kind of funny. So there you go. Uh, Never and all is Larry Niven spelled backwards. Obeka Brute Chronologist looks fun. One Grixis, three, four. Legendary creature Ogre Wizard. The player whose turn it is may end the turn. There are so many fun little things that have always been really bad that this makes good. Yeah, this is amusing. Um... A good example of a commander that would be fun to kind of put to use with older stuff um, that's never had a, a good haul. Definitely a more a kind of a political card, too. Uh, not my favorite. I think this is the type of card that reads as being very cute, but will end up, you'll just end up building it sort of generically. I'd be much more confident in the related specs for a card like this if this was not Commander Legends, if this was the four decks for the fall that we yeah. used to get and this was one of them i'd be like oh okay all the like the final fortune stuff and the things that penalize you at end of turn reasonable specs the rarer yeah. the better yeah it would have it would have a little bit of a uh oh god i cannot remember anything maybe i have a brain tumor uh nekusar would have might have had a bit of a nekusar thing going mm-hmm. on where it's kind of got this cool effect that you haven't really seen before that people now want to crack that has all sorts of fun features. I could see building that. I could see building Gen Arcanum Weaver. That's the uh, Mardu 2-3 Human Wizard. Mardu Tap, Sack and Ar- Enchantment, Return an Enchantment from your graveyard to the battlefield. Yeah, I think he's a little boring. I think you see stuff like that happen. Like, I'm generally not interested in recurring things from the graveyard. I think it makes for stale game states, which is why Primeval Titan's banned. 
Um, I will tell you that I thought Arkelos Lagoon Mystic looked amusing. The guy who makes stuff enter tapped and untapped. Yeah. Uh, I think he, he opens up some avenues with like the untapped mechanic and um, crew and those types of effects. Yeah, it looks fun. I think well I'll build as, that one. Yeah, and I will tell you, if you ever put a Urbrask into play or any of the other effects that force all of your opponent's stuff to come into play tapped, that is a surprisingly impactful mechanic. It is easy to underestimate that. It's cute. Your lock of Scorched Thrash, one Mardu... Uh, sorry, one Jund is a Viashano yeah. Shaman 4-4 Vigilance. A player losing unspent mana causes that player to lose that much life. So they, it's mana burn on a on a commander. One tap, each player adds uh, Jund. So you just start jamming mana down everybody's throats and force them to spend it. Yeah, he's he's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a another example of a very interesting commander. Um, lets players get interested in things that they wouldn't have been interested in before. Um, and honestly, I didn't go researching cards that I think will be good with him, but that's probably not a bad place to look because he's certainly one of the more uh, mechanically distinct commanders to come out of this set. I mean, I, I wouldn't build it, but I can see how people would. Blim, Comedic Genius 2, uh, Black, Red, 4-3 Flyer. When it deals combat damage to a player, that player gains control of target permanent you control. Then each player loses life and discards cards equal to the number of permanents they control but don't own. Yeah, he's nifty. I like him a lot. He's very fun. Uh, and then there's uh, Arumi of the Dead Tide. One blue, black, one four. Tap, exile cards from your graveyard equal to the number of opponents you have. Target creature card in your graveyard gains encore until end of turn. Yeah, I don't know. Again, the recursion. I'm popular in EDH in general, not my thing. Right. Uh, I, I'd be inclined to go with some of the the someone with Cascade. I don't know who I would put it with. I would probably just rebuild Yidris, but I would include some of these other cards because um, Yidris lets you do some fun stuff. But then again, Yidris has the problem of like you have to dedicate 15 slots to actually successfully attacking your opponent. Which is uh, takes up a lot of the deck space, honestly. So we were waiting on the Mythic Partner card and got it. Sakashima of a Thousand Faces. Three and a blue for a 3-1. Legendary creature, Human Rogue. You may have Sakashima of a Thousand Faces enter the battlefield as a copy of another creature you control, except it has Sakashima of a Thousand Faces other abilities. Those abilities include the legend rule doesn't apply to permanents you control. So you get to yeah. have two of the same partner. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or any other legendary creature you've got floating around, which is also... Which no, any, any other creature when... you have floating around. What, legendary or not. Right, I mean, like, so you Unlocks have... the legendary creatures to be duplicated. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, like, you don't have to copy your, your partner commander, like, if you play a shell dread... Then you can Sakashima that you're Shale Dread. I, and now you have two of those. This card's going to be very pricey down the road because it is has synergies in, a, in several directions at once. It's going to be a big deal in partner decks where, you, where the best partner for your partner is the same card you're already playing. And it's just generally good in the 99 all over the place. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, this could end up being sort of a sleeper mythic out of this set 
because it's nowhere near as big or splashy as some of the other stuff like, you know, Jewel Lotus. And even beyond that, you've got like Sevish Sa or Monodrain and like the four, the quad cascade creature. So there's some cool stuff going on here. Sakashima seems like it's a li little more under the radar, but I agree could end up being quite useful in a lot of strategies. And it's easy to, again, underestimate how useful that is. Because you're going to be like, oh, okay, well, how big of a deal is this? Well, okay. But if you have Sheldred and then you Sakashima your Sheldred, but then you also have other clone effects, you clone this Sakashima Sheldred, which keeps the legend rule line going. So even if they remove the original Sheldred, like you still have multiple copies of the legend rule doesn't apply going. So it can really become very difficult to clean the board off of all that effect um, without a, a rat, the correct wrath. So there's uh, there's some opportunity there for that to be a real pain. My first thought people. was that the Jessica Planeswalker would be fun to copy, and then I realized that's the, the one set of partners you can't use because they're not creatures. Because it's not copying uh, commanders, it's copying uh, creatures, so that doesn't help you. Yep, that is true. But uh, Did you because it can copy, like, in the 99, can still copy your commander. You know, I would I would consider running this in all sorts of different decks. I might run this in Rhea. I might run it in Atraxa. And Atraxa, that lets me double up on proliferate triggers every turn. And Atraxa is just a ridiculous commander to cast for four mana anyway. <laughs> yeah, there's there, this is probably the type of card that people will undervalue until they consider putting it into a deck and then look at what it does and go wow this is pretty useful would actually be pretty silly how many things i can copy with yeah. this and the thing is that like if you're the more you're you it's important for your commander to stay in play that same conversation i was having about jeweled lotus this is more helpful than the lotus in that regard because they kill one but not the other if it's not if it's a you know uh point removal spell and not a wrath then you know, they got to deal with both of them before they shut down whatever operation you're running. I also like the Sakashima's yep. protege they revealed, um, which is four double blue for a 3-1 flash cascade, and it can copy any permanent. Uh, any permanent that entered the battlefield this turn. So with flash, somebody else does something big and crazy, you get to copy it. You can copy a Gaia's Cradle, you can copy a whatever and it's got cascade so it's going to set you're going to get bonus value out of this thing this thing is pretty sweet yeah yeah i mean if you take the cascade off of this it's probably a four to five mana creature probably four without cascade but six to add cascade is uh i think likely a fair trade yep so I can see I can see both of those seeing quite a lot of play over time. Mana drains in the set, that's a big deal. Because between if you were looking for a potential hundred dollar card in the set, you've got now you've got mana drain. It's the same art as the last time we saw it. Um people were debating on our Discord what this is gonna get down to. Is it a $75 card, a $50 card, a $30 card? I'm not hundred percent sure, but it's I think it's more resistant to being a $20 card than Jeweled Lotus is. Oh, yeah, for sure. I actually think this might be one of the best um, cards to keep an eye on for when stuff starts hitting its floor. Um, this feels like it's basically the monocrypt of the set. Uh, and likely will provide some solid gains, I think, 
It's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be super fast, but will likely be pretty good for you. This set might have the best crop of mythics we've seen outside of... I'd have to go back and check Double Masters. I was just compiling my foil set last night. It's close. Like, th- this is pretty strong, especially for the format that it's targeting. Yeah. Vampiric Tutor, yeah. Scroll Rack, Mana Drain, Jeweled Lotus, a bunch of su- sweet, big mythic spells. Uh, there's only there's only that armor that's really looks like a like a want want. Well, I mean, like profane transfusion is like whatever. Sure. Um, you know, same with mnemonic deluge. Like ten mana spells in general yeah. are like, yeah, of course they read well. They're ten mana. Like, <laughs> sure, those are, those are not terribly exciting. I'm 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 more interested in the mythics that are going to sit between like three and seven. So you know what? Speaking to your point earlier about built for commander cards that reduce decision making hull breacher two and a blue for a three two flash merfolk pirate if an opponent would draw a card except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps instead you create a treasure token so it's like rhystic study and smothering tithe had a baby yeah i think this is a lot more interesting than opposition agent is that the right name opposition agent um because opposition agent feels like it it really <laughs> It's the fact that you exile the card when they when you take someone's search that feels really bad, and it just prevents cards from in people's hands from being cast because it's just actively bad for them. Hall Breacher feels just more fair, I guess. Like I don't feel bad stifling people's extra draws, stifling their fetch lands seems miserable, or their rampant growths and cultivates and stuff like that feels more mean spirited than. Um, preventing their excess draws from going up and at the same time it's not giving you a ton of extra cards which i also like so i think this is a cool a much more reasonable effect even at the power level is pretty high i do find it being blue to be odd honestly this seems like it should have been a white card yeah a lot of people said that uh anything else jump out at you uh like nothing i mean there's some cool stuff in here you know it's like these spoilers are normally i don't know what I can think. I think can think cards are cool, but I don't know what you're supposed to. What actionable information there is on some of them at this point? I think Apex Devastator is cool. That's the the quad cascade cascade card, cascade I've cascade always, cascade. Yeah, and I've always liked that. I've always enjoyed cascade. I think it's a cool mechanic, um, and great in EDH because it leads to some fun interactions because you just don't know what you're getting. But at 10 mana, like, I I don't know. I don't know what to make of that at the time being. Did you catch that combination with Jessica and the that was, like, M19 spell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to do you a can, lot of damage. Yeah, you triple her zero. The, the one spell allows you to triple a loyalty ability, and then you use her zero loyalty ability that triples the damage of something. So... They uh, the math works out so that a two power creature does fifty four damage, <laughs> which is pretty pretty wild if you put it on something that's unblockable. You could just one shot people. Yeah, we knew there was going to be some like reprint blowouts here. Austere command caught some people uh, out. I think. Uh, what else did I note? It looked like people were going to lose some money. Oh, generous gift foils from Modern Horizons that mm-hmm. just showed up 
last summer and now we're getting the extended art version of it here's the thing though yeah i think we, that was a pick for me too and i think we flagged this set as a possibility here's the thing we we um we were running some math people need to get their head straight about extended art foil rares and mythics being significantly less populous in these collector boosters um the slot that they're in you have like only a 30 or 40 percent drop rate which is unusual. If you compare that to Core 21, you were getting like six, seven foil rares and mythics a box. And it looks like that number is back down to maybe a third to half that. I got to run the final numbers, but it's less for sure. Because a lot more of the focus on the collector boosters here is on the gilded like legendary creature cards. And they're expecting that to generate a lot of EV. So they didn't feel the necessity to pack it full of more extended art foils. And as a result, this is uh, and there's and they also probably knew that Jeweled Lotus was going to be a thing. So the formulation continues to uh, swerve uh, for the collector boosters is going to be one of these things where a few years from now, nobody remembers that there are actually significant differences <laughs> between some of these collector booster boxes. One of the pro traders opened an Eldrain one this week and said they got like $16 in value or something. Oh, <laughs> just got wrecked. Yeah. The extended art factor fiction is cool. Um, that that's that's good for people to have access to. That'll probably represent a good buy-in point for that. Also, I think windfall. I think somebody said windfall got crunched out, which was a pick of mine a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so those foils are probably looking even better than they were. There's I like that. Let's see, there's an ooze commander. Doesn't seem yeah. I don't think that's super relevant. exciting. But we're getting un uh, extended art versions of thought vessel. Uh, the diamonds are back for monocolor decks. That's pretty important because they haven't seen a reprint in ages. Fullard uh, Teamer uh, Battle Rage. Yeah, it's kind of nifty. Uh, yes, that was in Double Masters as well as a so foils, but not extended art because there were no collector boosters there. Oh, Kadama's Reach Full Arts too. Those are going to be. Yep. Good to get on top of. I, I mean, it's basically I, like what I we saw with the Cultivates and Core 21. You can expect them probably to behave similarly. Yeah. 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 If 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 the print run is comparable. True. And and it actually made... Which, and because they were show... Actually, you're right. Because they were showcased in Core 21. So these actually may perform better. There'll be less of them. Just scrolling through here to see if I missed anything. Um yeah i don't i don't fully understand all the etched foil all the etched cards they went with right because like bruce tarl and akiri line slinger are both etched foils aren't they like the two so, two boros legends yeah so there's all of the commander legends in the set get the etched foil and the 32 that they brought back so they're actually relatively rare overall because in regular boxes they're not that they're not that easy to find but I, th I thought that they were the thirty-two that they brought back represented one of each. We we, we thought that they were going to be one of each color pairing, but it doesn't line up exactly. Hmm. So what what color pair didn't get any? Uh, like Just some of the shards. Well, none of the four color commanders, the one Brea, Atraxa, oh. cousins. None of those right. are in are in here, so that let them shift things around. 
Yeah. I, I will say that having Tana the Blood Sower show up as a Grawl etched foil really just shows how bad Grawl commanders are. Grawl? <laughs> like, sure. this is uh, this is what you went to. <laughs> uh, one of the other blowouts, Blasphemous Act. Yeah, yeah, I caught that. Those were those were good pickups for a while. Well, they were ju- literally just in Double Masters. Double Masters, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. anybody that went deep on those, getting burned, they're going to be dirt cheap. It was a pick of mine a while ago. Uh, I think I might have still some kicking around. Double Masters was a hurt, but this really puts it to bed for a while. Seb McKinnon's got some amazing art in this set. Promise of Tomorrow and Kumbaj Witches. It's so weird to see that card back in print. Um, I wish they had put his art on better cards. It's always strange uh, when the art director doesn't doesn't align power level with best available art. Um, Yeah, other than that, I think that is most of the the stuff we're talking about here. It's looking like a good set. It's getting late anyways. Things are looking sketchy for people getting their hands on collector booster boxes i think they're going for like 260 to 300 out there in the wild right now on pre-order and we have some people that pre-ordered stuff as low as 210 we haven't run our group buys yet because we don't want to make promises that we can't necessarily keep until we know for sure that vendors have inventory in hand especially given that the allocations are lower so it's going to be a little interesting to see, you know, when <laughs> folks pull the trigger on stuff. Because if you if you see, I think those boxes under two fifteen, or say your local LGS has a reasonable deal under two twenty five, you want to help them out a bit, you can snap those off. Um, but I'm not dying to like. I mean, as much as I want, it's it sounds funny to flip jeweled lotuses to people for a hundred bucks before they realize what's up. Um, that's not really my scene. I'm <laughs> much more laissez-faire about waiting for cards to settle and then and take off, uh, as opposed to being somebody who tries to rush through on opening weekend. My position here in Canada certainly contributes to that. Um, yeah, there's. So if I have to wait a little bit to get Commander Legends boxes at a more normal price, then I'll probably do that. Yeah, there's. It's very difficult to realistically short paper cards here um it's always been the case in magic so i and i did i saw the black the lotus pre-order at 150 i'm like okay can i short this reasonably like how would i do that i'm like i guess i'd have to pre-sell it on ebay but sell say that i'm gonna sell it i'm not gonna ship it for like two weeks after release date and hope they don't get angry so that i could wait for the price to drop i'm like "Eh, it's not worth it for whatever but uh certainly makes you wish you could do it well i mean it's a a good example of the kind of play that even if i could pull it off i probably wouldn't because it's just a feel bad and i don't want to be a public figure who sold a guy a 150 dollar card that's now worth 25 and 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 have to defend that in public and say yeah. and say oh well buyer beware i mean it's not like it's not buyer it's not like you sold them something that was like broken and then you went well too bad you should have you know checked the shocks before mm-hmm. you drove it home type of, type of thing it's more just like i don't know man this is the market price like my, there's no reason for me to believe my evaluation of this is better than anyone else's type of thing so like this is the price this is what it costs let the chips fall where they lie. I think it's a little different, although I get where you're coming from. 
All right, well, we can call that a wrap. Nice, thick episode this week. I wish you all the best of luck with your election. By the time you're hearing this, for most of you, the results will be known, and I'm sure there will be plenty, well, infinite chatter on social tomorrow. I haven't decided if I'm going to look before I go to bed or not. All right. I don't know if I want to know. So where can people find you online, Travis? Uh, I'm on Twitter when I'm willing to look at it at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. You guys can find me on Twitter at MGG Critic as well as via my occasional articles for MGGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MGGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 244. Yep, yep, 244. So join us next week as we, I think, finish Commander Legends and... uh, See where we are with the whole New World Order thing. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.